get a bit closer and you can smell that. That is fine looking coffee. Is I, need, I need to put some water in, don't I? Yeah, is there enough coffee in that? Yeah. Well, it should be three, is it? unless it's moved in the car. I'm sure there should be more. I mean, that's that's no, a, that's fine. That's a, that's the largest stovetop espresso maker yeah, I've no, ever me. seen. Trust me, it's fine. We're not making espressos, it's fine. Don't worry, it'll be good. Trust yeah. me. Okay. I've worked it out. Is this cold, Dave? Yeah. It's cold. I have it set on the free dial for three people because when I had it set on the two, it was too weak. This is just perfect. Trust me. Well, that, I guess that depends on what you call perfect coffee well, yeah, okay. and well, strength. Yeah, oh, right. But if you don't like it, it's tough. Yeah. If you don't like it, we can set the dial up for your next one and have your eyes popping out of your head. Yeah. Well, this, this will be my second cup of coffee of the day, which is um, not normal for me uh, because I, I have one, one decent cup of coffee in the morning and then that's it. Uh, but I did have an early... Uh, cup of coffee this morning and it's now what, half past nine and we're at Dave Shrimpton's house we are um, hello Dave good morning gentlemen it's nice to have you here at long last it says it's uh, well 18 months since we plan to actually have this event and here we are in sunny Hertfordshire yeah you could have picked a better day though, couldn't you <laughs> yeah but I'm wanting you to experience the lane at its finest so uh, no, it's definitely got worse since I last came <laughs> <laughs> I bought Julie's car so I'm not getting mine damaged and dirty. A wise decision, a wise decision. And uh, so, uh, that coffee uh, that you heard grinding earlier, uh, that's pretty special coffee, isn't it? It is, it comes all the way from Nicaragua. It does, it it, it does. And that's via a roaster in Cambridgeshire somewhere. Um, uh, and, and actually, I've just got a little bit confused because you just said we're in Hertfordshire, because I thought we were in Cambridgeshire. So we're close. just right on the border, are we? We're on the very border. Actually, the end of my lane is the beginning of the Fens. So there you are. <laughs> it's not the proper Fens. Don't, <laughs> don't listen to him. I was going to say, it's called Fen Road. I know, but you know, I could live in Mallorca Avenue, but it doesn't mean I live in Mallorca. <laughs> It can be whatever we want it to be. This week yeah. it's Hertfordshire. Yeah. Well, Dave is, of course, the master of illusion when it comes to all things photographic, so if we want to pretend we're in the fens, we can do. We can pretend that, indeed. We can yeah. pretend that. Yeah. Well, one thing we're not going to pretend about is, is, is the quality of this coffee, um, which is from uh, Stephen Franks of Colo Bolo, Coco Bolo Coffee, Coco Bolo, yeah. uh, which is Co- uh, <laughs> Coco... Oh, dear. Coco... Bolo dot coffee. That's all. That's that's how you actually get onto his website. He's a coffee roaster, isn't he? It is. He is. He, sorry, he is a coffee roaster. And instead of uh, making a, a coffee donation, that's K O dash F I uh, to to the podcast. Um, he sent us coffee, mm-hmm. um, real coffee, and it's beautiful. So thank you very very much, Stephen. I don't think Eric got any though, did he? Because I think postage to America might have crippled yeah. business. Yeah, I mean, Eric did send a message saying, "Don't worry, you don't have to send one over to, over to the states." And uh, <laughs> and uh, actually, that's one thing. Uh, Eric is not not with us uh, at the moment. We did actually fly him over uh, with coffee donations, and uh, and he stayed um, at the Dorchester Hotel last night. Um, but uh, he only. This could, this could be this could be in now, um, but unfortunately um, he only got so far, and he's around about three miles down the road, and uh, we we can't really pick him up because we're too tight on time. So uh, that's a real shame. Um, so it's just going to be Andrew, I, and Dave Shrimpton today. Um, 
You won't get three mugfuls that size out of my thing, I tell you. You want three, three smaller ones. Yeah, we, we, we're definitely doubting uh, Andrew's coffee-making abilities at the moment. <laughs> Um, oh, that's a small. That's going to be a very small cup of coffee. Yeah, well, that, just, is that, that the size that, we're talking about? That'll do to start with. Yeah. See, you've, you've, you've validated my opinion about not enough coffee going into that machine. No, well, it gets two decent mugs. I haven't calibrated it for three decent mugs. Yeah. I don't think there's enough water in there for three decent mugs. That's the, the limiting factor. There's yeah. Water in there. You can get twelve espressos. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, Andrew was very careful about how he said that word then because earlier on he was saying espresso. Yeah, well, I still think um, it's espresso. And uh, it, is, it is not, it has never been, unless you're a Cliff Richard fan. Um, <laughs> people of a certain age will understand that. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, it, what's, actually, what's it, what has been interesting about this coffee is the first time I tried it was at a friend's house because my coffee grinder does not work. Um, so I went over to his, uh, and, he, and Stephen had sent over some uh, beans. So, uh, I, I went over to my friend's house and we, uh, he ground them and put them on his stovetop uh, espresso maker. And the flavour was beautiful. The smell was gorgeous. The flavour was beautiful. And it was absolutely really, really nice beans. And then I took them home and I could not make the coffee anywhere near as good as my friend did using the same process, using my stovetop espresso maker. So... I decided to actually go back to my friend and borrow his stovetop espresso maker and repeat the process at my house, and I still couldn't make the coffee no, uh, taste as good. So, when someone else makes a Sunday roast, it's always better. Someone yeah. else's chips are always better, and so clearly someone else's coffee. Isn't that true, isn't it? Though? I'm sure it is. And maybe it's the water as well. Well, that's yeah. that's that's what we're coming yeah, down your, to. Your water would be recycled quite about a dozen times. <laughs> well, well all, those, my, all that Stokey wheat. Yeah, well, my my water is from the city of Stoke on Trent, yeah. and uh, whereas my friend's water is from Cheshire. Oh, well, that's it. Uh, yes. it's a better quality. Come on, it's yeah. a liberal Democrat. Cheshire water. We all know about that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So I mean, this is this is well. This this means that this has to be good coffee that you're making, despite the small portion. Better be. I think you need to put it on the bigger stove to give it a bit more oomph. I can do that. I'm a bit worried now because I'm now doubting my your own coffee making. If I pick this up, is the bottom going to fall off? Well, (laughs) you don't need to touch the spout. Okay. You've already broken Simon's leg. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's just let's just let's not start the podcast with that. Don't break the coffee maker. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's a that's a, a a good point because I've got a lens in front of me here which I've I've bought with me today. Oh, yeah, um, lens and is it's uh, it's actually the first large format lens I ever owned. Um, <laughs> so a great sentimental value. <laughs> it has huge sentimental value, oh. and it's a, it's a Kodak Ektar, uh, 152 millimeter f 4.5, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And it comes on a, a, a Kodak Supermatic. And you couldn't um, put a price on it. it if you had to sell you it. Couldn't, you couldn't put a price on it. And all that emotional attachment involved into it. That's, that's, that's right. It's irreplaceable. Imagine and if someone dropped it. Imagine. Yeah. So, so, so Dave uh, picked up my camera, um, which is a, uh, a, a Chroma Carbon Adventure, and I've got it in front of me. And, I, and it's a, it's a, I mounted it on a lens board I made hurriedly last night. And, uh, and it doesn't quite fit, and it just needs a little bit of fettling. Um, but they just picked it up anyway and just dropped the thing straight off the front onto the floor. And, um, it's working. It is working. After, after, Andrew, after, after, is it yeah. working? Well, it's making a weird noise. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. After, after, after five minutes of, um, of hitting it and prodding it, Dave's actually got it working again. So, uh, but this, this was uh, repaired very recently by Bill Orford. 
who's done, who, who did a superb job on it. Um, job. And um, we, you know, how, how superb that job still is, we're not entirely sure, but uh, it's, it's making clicking noises, and uh, there is a reasonable chance it might still work. Excuse so, me. oh wow, that, thank that, you. That, everybody, good. just listen. I'll take no responsibility after this. It's working at this moment. <laughs> on that one speed. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Does self-timer work? No, 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 don't. don't just, yeah, Bill, Bill said do not play with the self-timer. Leave that well alone. Uh, and yeah. I think the, the, uh, like the, one, the slow speeds are a little bit off. Uh, but, uh, Aren't you know, always? Exactly. So we're not, we're not going to worry too much about that. Aren't they always? Yeah. yeah. Nice lens. So um, here we are in Dave Shrimpton's kitchen. And what a really, really nice place it is. If anybody's uh, been on any of the uh, um, large format virtual gatherings, um, they would, you would actually have seen some of uh, Dave, Dave's house, in particular a mirror um, with, with, with the gothic uh, carved wood. Uh, art, not really arches, are they? But, um, it's, it's, or, it's a choir front, believe it or not. It's a medieval choir front or something. So, um, yeah, there you go. But it makes a nice mirror as well. So. It does. And it's, it's completely in keeping with, with Dave's house as well, which is uh, it's in a beautiful part of the world, and it's an absolutely gorgeous house. But not the fence. But not the fens. It's the edge of the fens. We don't it's don't get just the edge of the fens. Yeah. Just because it's called Fen Road or Fen Lane doesn't make it the fens. Yeah. It's all about scale, though, isn't it? It's about how far away you are, and uh, yeah, if you go from space, it's actually next to the fens. Mm. So, this is true. This is true. Absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. not a read in sight. I tell you. <laughs> and we're making coffee. We are. To we start are. the day. That's it. So, um, so today's podcast, which. Who knows, it may turn into two podcasts, um, or three, or four, yeah, we're not entirely sure. Um, but we're, we're going to have a chat with Dave um, about the things that he does. Um, we're going to talk cameras, we're going to talk his studio, um, and we're going to talk a bit about processing and, um, and such things. And at some point later on in the day, uh, we're going to do some wet plate as well, which is... Uh, have you done wet plate before, Andrew? No. Yeah, so it's the first for both of us. So um, that's that's going to be pretty damn exciting. It's a rabbit hole I've been avoiding jumping down. I, sh- I, sh- I forgot to remind you to wear old clothes, gentlemen. There you go, just in case you get covered in silver nitrate, which you won't. Which you won't. <laughs> so, um, so as we are, we're we're in Dave's dining room at the moment, the kitchen diner, and there are five cameras that belong to Dave in front of me. Um, all of which look absolutely fantastic, um, but there's you know, there's there's four of them on this table which are, I think, three speed graphics and then a is that a micro press? Yeah. So basically, I was going to do is start the day off when I do it the way I do it with a workshop. So my cameras, my progression through my cameras, how I started, where I've ended up, and then some of the images that I've taken with the cameras, and then we can obviously you guys understand them anyway, but. The difference between um, spring backs and graph lock backs and the benefits it gives you. Yep, we've got the crown graphic, we've got a speed graphic. Um, there's my crown, which is my workhorse, which is stripped bare of everything. I've taken everything off of it because I don't want it on there, just because it's light for travelling. That does the majority of my shots, apart from my speed. Um, my speeds, yeah, and that's the, that's the beautiful brick, whatever house, Jesus, uh, micropress. Which is a beautiful camera. If yeah. you've got a 5.4 camera, um, that is an absolute belter. And it's uh, rock solid. But of course, it's got a graph lock 
mechanism inside it as well. Oh, graphics mechanism inside it anyway. Yeah. So beautiful camera. So yeah. So I thought that would start the day before we head on to single lens reflex large format. Yeah. So are you white or black coffee man? Um, white. If you've done it, I can heat. I haven't done anything. Okay. I can heat the milk up if you want. Well, not that sophisticated. Oh, well, I'm going to have pop milk. Your 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 coffee making abilities are are, are declining quite rapidly here. You've got you you have to have warm milk. Well, I can't be bothered with that. You don't have to have warm milk. It's fine. I thought it was always like the law. The law, yeah, in Nicaragua or whatever. When you're making coffee, let's turn that thing. There's a bit more left in there. Is it? There wouldn't have been enough for three huge mugs. Da, 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 da. Come on, coffee grinding up. Come on, what's the matter with you? What are you doing over there? I'm supposed to be heating the milk up. Well, don't you do it in a saucepan on the stove? No, I do it in my, my coffee heating up machine, but, <laughs> but, um, but it's not working. <laughs> you haven't dropped it. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Girl, you never let me forget that. Oh, there we go. Off it goes. There you go. It's got sound effects as well. high-end mechanical processes. So yes, yeah, so we've got lots of cameras to go through today, haven't we? But I think the discussion we were having earlier is that you can have too many cameras. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Guilty of that. But how you eventually, you refine it down to maybe two, and that's, that's your lot there. You've got a bit of a way to go there, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I, might, I might have. We could help you with that. Well, that's the other thing. It's like they're not making any more, are they? And since I don't know why, but everything seems to be going up in price ridiculously at the moment. Um, mm. I think that so many people are coming back to analog. I mean, well, people have contacted it's me. Just, it's just um, analog, full stop, as an attraction for youngsters. Yeah. Uh, you know, something away from the digital screen. Anything away from the digital. I screen. saw on YouTube the other day some young guy had almost done a thesis on analog. I think it was a thesis or a. Uh, yes, please. And it was exploring all sorts of psychological reasons why analog, which I didn't fully understand. Yeah. Is, but I think we've all gone through it ourselves, haven't we? It's a bit like when I do my talks about how I used to run a, a big design studio and we had big digital Hasselblads and we were massive pictures. And I ended up most of my life in Photoshop, not actually doing the photography side of it. And I completely fell out of love with photography. You know, and it's, it's only when I found mechanical cameras again that I fell back in love with, because it's down to me to take the picture, not the camera. Mm. I mean, it, to be honest, I, just, I find digital. I mean, I did a shoot the other day, and I did shoot digital, and I ended up with like 500 shots, and I can't be bothered to go through them. I just can't be And they're all going to be perfect, mm. you know, because the camera's done it. Yeah. It's nothing to do with me. <laughs> it's like, um, so, yeah, so I love the fact that it's those six, you know, six or however many you pull out of that drum, yeah, and you've even nailed it or you haven't, you know. Um, it's that magic moment, isn't it? So, anyway, let's try well, this coffee. Yeah, talking about magic moments, here, here, here's the moment of truth now. Oh, yeah. Is that strong enough for you? Too strong? That's, for you? that's pretty good. That's, that's good. That's pretty good. That is very good. It's, it's better than I can make it in Stoke anyway. Well, it's the water. It's, it's, the water. Water. Mm. it's this fen water we've got here. It has to be that. <laughs> so. Here we go. Coffee, Kit Kats. Well, we haven't started on the Kit Kats yet. Right, well, you might not realise it, but uh, probably around about half an hour's passed uh, since we've just been chatting. And 
we just had a bit of a tour around uh, Dave's house, which has been absolutely fascinating. And uh, we've just been playing with stereo, stereophonic. Is it stereo? Stereographic. stereographic. Stereographic, yeah. Stereographic stereophonics as a uh, band, isn't it? <laughs> um, so stereographic photography and, um, and where Dave uh, dries his, his negatives and... Um, and it's just one of those things where we, we could have just like carried on recording, actually, and, and to some degree, I wish we probably had. But no doubt we'll get back to some of those topics uh, that, that, that we've done there. Um, but we've come back to Dave's dining room table, which is full of cameras. And actually, uh, those, those people have been on Facebook and, um, you know, a few moments ago. have just had a little bit of a tour um, and a little talk from Dave about some of his cameras and things. But we're going to cover some of those those topics again now, um, especially as as we have a look at, at Dave's camera of, uh, table of cameras. So, uh, um, what have you got there then, Dave? Yeah. So, like when I do a workshop, I normally sit down and try and explain what the cameras are because large format can be quite daunting to a lot of people. But uh, to be honest, I find it the simplest form of photography. To be honest, so I, I start where I start. I start at the beginning, and I started with a nineteen forty two speed graphic. Um, to be honest when I bought that I didn't even know how to put a film back in it I didn't even know I was trying to put a half plate mahogany plate holder into it I mean that's how little I knew Um, but little did I know that I'd actually bought one with with an absolutely cracking um, focal plane shutter on the back of it Um, and that was that's the first camera I ever large format I ever bought and so you can't see it here but you get an idea of what it can take that's an image I took at the um uh, where is that? That's the Natural History Museum in London, uh, and that when I took this image of the light and shadow coming through the window, and I developed it up, and that's the beauty, like you know, the joy we all get when we open up the development tank and we see the negative for the first time. You even know if you've done it or you've destroyed it or whatever. I was, I was going to say um, because people can't see that. Um, you just you just uh, held, held up a how, how large is that photo? Uh, it's about eighteen. 10 or 1816 yeah. or 1620 something like that yeah that's right and it's, it's an absolutely gorgeous um the shot that's uh from a from a high elevated position uh, looking down on quite a narrow uh, long long space and uh, what, what lens would you have used on that that would have been the standard camera lens yeah so it would have been whatever's in here now and i'm terrible at knowing what i've got you guys know what you've got i actually don't know most of the time so i can't see what that is i haven't got my glasses on but that's a um, it looks, looks like a woolen sack from over here. So that's my. Is that not Octar? Four point five something. Yeah. Graphlex Octar. Yeah. But they were they were made by woolen sack. Six oh, really? and three quarter inches. So it's yeah. about one fifty. It's about standard lens. Yeah, standard lens. Um, so that, that's that's my first camera. A standard I like, lens. I like sniffing them. Uh, the, <laughs> to be honest, sniffing cameras is part of the joy of large format. I think. That's what I love about old cameras. You don't get that with the new cameras. Yeah. The new bomb camera I've got, it's, it's got great. no. Yeah. No. It's a bit like getting this leather and an old age pre- Ford Prefect, isn't it, or something? You know. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope um, Soviet large format cameras smell better than the rest of the range. Um, <laughs> they they do not smell good. But of course, the beauty of this is it's got. A, um, I think when I used that, I didn't have to use the focal plane shutter because I used the the standard lens shutter on it, mm. and then I run through my cameras. Um, so we've got the MicroPress, um, which is absolutely a brick watch it house uh, of a camera, but it uses the same Graflex mechanism on the side. Um, 
again, uh, focal plane. Um, and then my speed, which is where I actually, this is the one where I actually put in the Dave Burnett combo. So I put in the Aero Ektar with the prism finder on the back, mm. which is the, I recently did a shot of a girl. Um, she's actually wearing a, um, a yellow, and I need to develop these films up. I did it 5'4". She's wearing a yellow parachute and she's up a ladder. She's 15 foot tall. Is that um, in case she falls off the ladder? No, I just wanted her to be very tall. Okay. So she's got this huge dress coming down. And I used the Aero Ektar, but I was in bright sunlight. But because I used the prism finder on the back, yeah. I could I could look, see without having to put a dark cloth over mm-hmm. my head, which is a great combination. And uh, and the fact it was Dave Burnett seeing his 2012 Olympic shots that made me go to large format. And when I saw his shot of Usain Bolt going over the line, it was like, whoa, this is the way to go. And then I ended up buying my Crown Graphic, which has obviously got no focal plane shutter in it. But that's probably done 95% of my shots, and I've stripped everything off the rangefinders because it just I want it small and light. Um, yeah. um, so, for people listening who, when you said obviously hasn't got any focal plane shutters, so just explain what a focal plane shutter is and okay. how it differs, differ, differs from the speed graphic. Yeah, so with the speed graphic, um, the reason why we all want a speed graphic, or many people want a speed graphic, is A, you get a beautiful lens at the front with a um, with a you know proper leaf shutter in the fact in the fact that takes shots with, but we're limited um, with for instance a camera like a crown graphic because it doesn't have a focal plane shutter. The speed graphic that I just mentioned has a focal plane shutter, so it has the shutter built into the lens at the front, but it also has a curtain shutter at the back of the camera in front of the film that travels past the film. So in other words, I can then start to use barrel lenses, which are lenses which have got no shutter in them. In that respect, I can start to use Victorian Petzval lenses. And Petzval lenses were invented um, because they're fast and was invented, the process was invented by Joseph Petzval. It was a competition to invent uh, a fast lens and he did it by um, mathematically putting in a, a lens space, there's an airspace in it which speeds the lens up. And that's how suddenly we can start shooting people rather than the landscapes back in the Victorian era. Is there two element, two bits of glass in the... There's various bits. I can put a link up for it to show you how it works inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, um, But there's basically some, some lens, some spaces between the air gap and it's sped the lens right up. Um, so that can now go into my 1942 mm-hmm. camera and I can still take a shot because I've got a focal plane shutter between the lens and the film. And as that travels past, there's different size slots. And as the slots get bigger, or as they get smaller, I get my faster shots and my, my longer exposure. And then on the side of the camera, there's a little scale, and it tells me to dial in two calculations on the side of the camera to get the speeds I want for the curtain to go past. Very, very simple. But the big challenge is the curtains have to be in good condition. Mm. Nine times out of ten, often they're not. Yeah. Luckily, the cameras I've got, are all in good condition. Uh, the only person I know is Graham in at the moment in America that's um, that's making new curtains for them. So if anyone in the UK <laughs> can start making curtains for, for you'd make an absolute killing for Which these. Graham, things. are we talking about in America? Graham Burnett. Okay. Um, Graflex parts. Graflex yeah, parts. Uh, Graham's absolutely brilliant. He's a genius. Um, in fact, he helped me um, when I bought one of my cameras. Um, I'll tell another little tip here and I can put a link up to it. When you buy a speed or a crown, um, camera, a graphlex, when you open it up, as I'm doing here, and you hear it open, click, um, as the front movement comes out from the camera, 
it travels along its little rails, which is absolutely fine. The challenge comes is people put them back in and they don't retract it all the way back into the body. So when they close the camera up, they snap the two little rails at the back. And I've got so many cameras where I've seen they're broken on the back there and they snap them off. So when you're looking at a camera or buying a camera, make sure that those two little guardrails at the back are in good order. Otherwise, what will happen is your lens will, or your lens front center will just start flopping about, uh, which is a pain. Somebody sent you those little rails recently because you had one you repaired and sold, yep. didn't you? And I didn't sell it in the end. Did you? I didn't sell it because it was such a beautiful camera. I just thought, why am I selling it? I don't need it, but I just thought, why am I selling it? Because it's a, it's a beautiful camera. But... Following our last podcast, we did our picnic in the park one, a uh, virtual picnic. Um, I was chatting, one of the guys on there, I can't remember who it was. Nick, Nick Lyle. Nick Lyle, mm-hmm. there you go. Thank you, you Nick. Who sent it, wasn't it? Nick sent me the actual front rail guides, okay. these here, mm-hmm. and I was able to cut them down in the studio, Right. cut them down in the workshop, the and they exactly fitted in the back there. I relocated the holes, redrilled them out, routed them through. And my other camera now is spot on. In fact, it's probably better condition than this one. Um, I fumbled with the lens, took it apart and cleaned it out. And it, and it works on all the exposures now. Um, I'm, by no means am I a lens um, mechanic genius. So there's the difference between going for a focal plane and a, a normal non-focal plane camera like the Crown Graphic. The Crown Graphic will only take a lens with... Um, with a shutter in it, a leaf shutter in it, and that's it. So I can't put a, a barrel lens Betzful in it. But if I buy a speed graphic, I can put one of those in it, and then then it opens up a whole new adventure in mm. photographic wise. Mm. But a crown graphic is still seen by many as a, a well, it was, wasn't it, a good entry point into four or five stroke. But I, I'm not so sure really because they're quite getting quite difficult to come by in good condition so if you're new to this yeah and you buy one of those you could be disappointed because it might have all sorts of things wrong with it i guess i think the thing is you you're less you're the, the thing that will go wrong the most will be the focal plane shutter if you buy a, a speed, speed graphic yeah, yeah. if you buy a crown graphic you've got a lot less to go wrong yeah, just probably bellows isn't it or it'll probably be bellows um i mean a lot of people I mean, these bellows are beautiful. Mm-hmm. A lot of people lose a lot of sleep over their bellows. I mean, to be honest, I'm quite pragmatic in this. I'll just have a go. Just go around with a piece of black velvet and just drape it over the camera. Yeah. You know, you don't need to go and... I have replaced my bellows in the past, and the last camera I had, I had to completely disassemble it, everything taken out. Um, so I could have put new bellows in. Yeah. And there's a, there is a place... Um, and you'll know the name of this guy, in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. The Camera bellows yeah. people. Absolute genius. Yeah. He replaced the made new set of bellows for my um, Devere enlarger. Really, really good. Very fast turnaround. So, um, but yeah, so these are the main cameras I, I shoot with and these are what I demonstrate. And then we move on to why I shoot with SLR. Um, and the reason I shoot with SLR is if you look at a lot of my pictures, you'll see there's there's maybe there's some movement on it or the model's moving or or there's something going on that slows you because the challenge comes with when when we're shooting with a crown graphic or we're shooting with a speed graphic we've obviously got um we've obviously got a dark cloth over our head you know we're focusing on the back and i have shot with models before and you sort of say okay i'm ready now i'm right stay where you are and i open the back up and I put the film in and I pull the dark slide out and I turn around and they've moved. 
I was like, what are you doing? She said, I thought we were done. I said, no, no, I've only just focused. <laughs> so, but you'll see there's a shot I did of, of Camille where she's falling back in the rain. And everyone says, how did you get that? How did you get her falling, you know? Mm. And that's because I use a, a, an SLR, a single lens reflex, yeah. which is why we start, I started moving on to the Graflex Super Ds. <coughs> So um, actually, actually, Dave, while you're just talking about that that shot, which we used as the the cover for the yeah. first time that you, yeah. you you came on, and it's an extraordinary shot. Um, and I think you we, we must have asked you the question at the time, but I've forgotten. And uh, and a couple of people have when I've showed that photograph to people, they've asked me uh, the question is, uh, how did she land? I mean, she looks <laughs> like she's about to fall on 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 the ground. No, that I mean that's she's a um, wonderful model, Camille, and I. I had this vision in my head or this image in my head and we talked about it and I, we were in the lane and I said, can you, how far can you bend backwards? So she started bending backwards and I said, can you hold that? So she, she basically bent backwards, held the pose and then went back up again. Wow. She didn't carry on down. So I mean, that, uh, That's extraordinary. I mean, it does not look a natural, no. naturally held position at all. No, she was able to arch her back and then because I wanted to, her to be able to arch her back and look back at me. Yeah, and then go back up, uh, and that obviously that had a smoke machine that had um, we had some spotlights, um, and just as we went to take that shot, it started to rain, and you yeah. see there's four drops go past yeah. the screen. Um, so that whole shot shoot was only two sheets of film. That's all we had. Um, yeah. That's all we had to do on it. So, um, so that that leads me on to why I shoot SLR, and that's the reason because I'm able to have the dark slide pulled out and the film ready to go, I've worked out my exposure, I've set my dials on the side of the camera, and then the moment I want to take the shot, I push the button and it takes the shot. So, in other words, I can track handheld something moving and take the shot, which is why we shoot SLR. Um, so, um, so then I, I, I shot with a Super D, which has a big turret on the top, and then I went, I discovered Jeff at 20th Century, who makes the mirror, um, the mirror um, viewing hoods, and that was a game changer for me because I'm able to focus accurately. Yeah. And then obviously it opens up everything. Then we know it opens up all these projector lenses suddenly become available to me, um, which is why I shoot most of my shots on um, large format. I shot at f2.5. You know, it's like, why do you shoot at 2.5? It's stupid depth of field. Well, it just creates these dramatic images. Exactly. Um, the other large camera I shoot with, which is in the studio at the moment, has got um, front movement on it as well. Jeff built me front movement into it, so I can drop the lens down and just get my weird focus right in where I want it and get it drop away straight away, even on a portrait. Um, but then I can start to put in all these projector lenses, which I suppose leads on to um, how we work out how fast they are. Uh, which is on the wall. Yeah, because um, we were um, doing a bit of a live feed uh, on uh, Facebook earlier. We were just playing with lenses just to uh, see about how much coverage a lens will give. But you you went a little bit further than that because you 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 explained to us the way that you actually work out what the focal length of the lenses, and then you can also make a calculation and therefore what the uh, the aperture of the lenses. Because many of these barrel lenses are unmarked, yeah. So we have no idea what they are unless you, you do something like that. So uh, perhaps you want to just talk through your, your your process about how you do that. Yeah. So I've got this this really lovely eighteenth, um, well, nineteenth, eighteenth century, whatever, nineteenth century uh, Petzval lens, brass Petzval lens, 
I found it in the bottom of a box when I bought a camera once. Uh, I cleaned it up and I know it's pet's fault because I took it apart and I could see the air gap, the way it, the lenses were made inside. But it turns out to be a beautiful, beautiful portrait lens, which obviously I can't use on my crown graphic because it hasn't got a focal plane shutter, but I can use it on my, crown, on my speed. But I didn't know how fast it was and I didn't know what the um, focal length was. So the simple calculation is if you just hold it up with a window opposite a plain white wall and you just move the lens in and out until you end up with infinity focused on the wall. In other words, in this case, it's a series of trees in the distance. At that point, if I measure from the wall to the centre of the lens, where the glass is, that's my focal length. Yeah, actually, let's just uh, re- cover that point about where the centre where the centre of a lens is, because yeah. we're not talking about the the, the the whole barrel of the lens. The, the central lens is actually a specific point that you want that you need to yeah. find. it's not you're not the overall. So don't include the lens hood or how far the lens is. You've got to work out where the glass is. You know, in other words, if it's set 5 million from one end and 20 million from the end, you're you're measuring the centre of the glass. And that's your focal length. And once you've got your focal length, A, you know what camera it will fit into, and B, you then just divide it by the width of the glass at the front, and you can work out your f-stop and how fast it is. So from literally two minutes... I know that this lens is f3.5 and it's a five and a half inch. And I, you know, I, I thought you measured the rear element rather than the front element. Possibly you do. Oh, right, okay. So Possibly you we, do. There's, there's a little bit of doubt between the two of us there. So well, it may be the front, maybe the back, but uh, if we look it up on Google, one of us will find out and yeah, uh, we'll, but it, we'll be there. It, whatever it does, it puts me in the ballpark. Yes. With a, when I'm, the only time I do it is if I'm making a pinhole and I need, in a tin and I, yeah. need, and I want just some idea yes. for exposure. Yes. And I just use the diameter of the pinhole so it's you know yeah. 0.3 of a mil or something that's exactly what I do with my and then you've got a re- then you're in the ballpark for exposure aren't you because yep. you know that and I, and I measure from I also measure from the front of the pinhole to the to the film plate mm-hmm. and it gives me my F you know what I mean I've got an idea yeah. of what and if it's a curved I tend to go to the middle point really but yeah absolutely yeah well, we were talking earlier it's about pinhole photography isn't it you know? yeah, yeah. And, and yeah that's a whole new large format category isn't it mm-hmm. I mean so we were doing with, with soup tins the other day and getting amazing results at 10.8. So. No, I've had lovely results with coffee cans, as you have. <laughs> I, I, I would strongly recommend to anyone who's thinking about large format, getting into large format, don't be scared by it and do go into it with pinholes because you learn so much with pinholes mm. without spending loads of money. All you've got to do is buy a coffee tin, make a hole in it, yeah. buy, buy some sheet of film. If you, if you can be bothered to get it from uh, America, buy some x-ray film. Um, that you can then cut down in the dark. Or room. use paper negatives. Or use paper negatives, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I, I, I tend to use x-ray because I can cut it in red safe light without chopping my finger off in pitch black. Yeah. Um, and I can develop by inspection. Because I did find a lot when I started with my pinhole photography, you would go through all the process I've developed for 15 minutes, whatever, and come up with a blank sheet of film. Oh, well, I got that wrong, didn't I? Um, whereas with when I'm developing in red safe light, I can keep going thinking, well, actually, all right, I've underexposed that, but if I develop that for 10 minutes more, suddenly the image comes back and I can, I can see what I've got. I think, I don't know about all of the X-ray film, but most of the stuff you can buy is double-sided and it's yes. what we'd call orthochromatic, isn't yes. it? So it's not sensitive to that red end of the Absolutely. of the spectrum, so you can use that red yeah. safe line. Yeah. I think you still need to use a fairly dim one, but I, I mean, I, I think I have 10 or 15 watts and... Yeah, I've never had an issue developing for no. I haven't had an know, issue. Five or six minutes or so. I've I've used it with my large 
format camera. Uh, I've done some beautiful portraits with it as well, mm. with um, using my um, my large Packard shutter. And I find it a great way of experimenting and getting an idea of light before I go and put in my proper, you know, Fomapan 200 or whatever I'm going to use. Because um, obviously the um, the X-ray film is cheap as chips, really. It's very yeah, cheap. Yeah, even with, if you bring it from America, even with postage and tax on it. It's, it's still considerably cheaper. A box of 108 by 10 is you could probably still get for 50 or 60 quid. Yeah, but it will scratch, obviously, unless you use, oh, yeah. your tip was a good one, but the glass inserts yeah. in the tray. Do you wash yours for... I, if you if you if you wash wash it first for a few minutes, James Guerin of Reality So Subtle told me this. Yep. Then it does tend to make more of an even emulsion. If you don't wash it, you can often get some rather nice swirls and stuff going on. Yeah, I don't wash any of mine, and, and to be absolutely honest, the whole thing for me is the swirls. Yeah. It's the unpredictability, which is why which led me into wet plate, which we'll go into later. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love I love it when you get weird stuff come up. You know, um, I do find that a lot of my 5.4 film photography is, is quite predictable now mm. in as much as I've learnt my cameras, I've learnt my film, I've learnt my chemicals and I can be quite, I probably get about a 96% hit rate, you know, uh, that they work and that's me using an iPhone for metering. But it's just because I've learnt my process, but which is completely wrong for loads of people probably. But, but all, all the wonderful, exciting films out there, you can get bubble gum film and... <laughs> Double, sure. double bubble gum film. I'm sure you can. Uh, and I'm purple sure you film. Can. Look at the whole world of excitement that you're missing out on. Why don't you use all these exciting films of the month? Well, <laughs> the reason probably is if I've got a model here for the day and we've we've been working out for a, you know four weeks what we're going to shoot and I've got a product range you know that I'm going to get her to wear. <coughs> I tend to I don't want to chance it at that point. So yeah, I I mean I stick to foam repair. Yeah. I I do foam repair 100 and 400. And 80% of my film is 400. Um, and it just works for me. It just works for what I want to shoot. Um, I know where I'm going. So, um, yeah, apart from... Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've got... Uh, which we were leading on to in a while. I think I've started to shoot with the Portra 160 uh, 5.4 colour film, um, which I was really worried about and nervous about. But I've actually realised that developing colour film 5.4 is actually easier than black and white. It's, it's just a doddle. Um, all you've got to do is get your temperatures right. Um, and the joy that you get from a large format colour photography is fantastic. I'm thinking of actually doing some workshops on that because I'd love people just to, to get into it. Because, because the show I was talking about that I did two weeks ago was a, a lady up, um, Katerina, up this huge ladder. She's up a 14-foot ladder. And I've got this very large yellow military... Um, um, parachute that she's wearing like a dress and it's all draped and it's all very bizarre and surreal and Alice in Wonderland and um, and I shot it using the speed graphic with the arrow exile lens in it and, and they're great black and white but she tends to disappear into the trees whereas I know the two sheets of colour that I took she's going to leap out because the, the, the parachute is bright yellow mm. so there's a space although I love black and white there is a space for colour um, Mind you if you'd have used a the green, I suppose, green is not quite yeah. yellow, is it? But it's close in the spectrum. A, a yellow filter would have made a made the yellow lighter in tone. Yes, it, it probably not affected the gr the grass, the trees too much. But yeah. it would have certainly given you a bit of differential, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It would. And, and as we spoke earlier, I, I tend to you notice a lot of my shots are done in in the lane, which is yeah. outside my studio, which is a bit wet today for us. But um, mm -hmm. um, 
I tend to know the way the light comes through the trees. Yeah. You know, and that, again, it's coming down to knowing your cameras, knowing your film. You know, and yeah. Well, that's the joy of. I know we're sitting here with three or four different cameras, yeah. but you know, when when it when when push comes to shove, and you're doing a workshop or you're on a, yeah. a shoot with somebody yeah. with a model in particular. Um, you know, you're using a camera that you're familiar with. You're using a lens that you're familiar with. Yeah. You're using a location that you're familiar with, yeah. and you're using a film that you're familiar with. And yeah. I'm guessing, you know, I think you use HC110. Yes. Um, do you always stick to the same time, or do you vary if it's a particularly overcut? Where you're often using natural artificial light, aren't you? Yeah. Do you vary development if you've got a really bright day or a really dull day? I I shot the other week. I, um, I normally I did a shoot with a man with a 1927 BSA down the lane, and for the first time for a very long time I shot with the um, the Aero Liberator, which is a John Minnick camera with the. Um, and I obviously I wasn't quite au fait as to how fast that shutter was, so they were underexposed. So I tend to shoot is it one plus sixty three? I think with the HC one ten. I'm not. I've never really used it, but I know people, there's all sorts of development times which you can play around with to yeah. suit different situations. Well, I, I, my friend, my good friend Graham, who's the guru of large format, told I mean, and still Adams used to use it. So I thought, well, if it's good enough for him, mm. good enough for little old Shrimpton. So. Yeah, so I do one to sixty-three, and that, the reason I do that is because I'm I'm just a tight ass, in as much as I I, I want to get as much as I can out. Oh, of it. absolutely! And yeah. you use such a small amount because um, yeah. I used to use um, is it D seventy-six. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same as ID eleven. Yeah, so I used to use D seventy-six, but you, you, when I'm developing f- six sheets of five four, it's a liter of chemicals. It is if you're in a capstan um, tank. And if I'm using powders, I would be I'd only get fit six mm. developments. Whereas yeah. when I'm using a a bottle of HC one ten. I just it's minimal. What yeah, you use. no, I think it's right. Um, so, in other words, yes, I do, and it's a bit like when I'm metering. I nine times out of ten, I meter with my iPhone mm-hmm. because I know the way my camera. I know how slow the grease is inside and how slow the shutter is. So, if I meter at say I don't know one twenty fifth, I know that I'll set the camera probably to eightieth of a second. Mm-hmm. And I, when I develop, I, it says fourteen or thirteen minutes, but I always develop for fourteen minutes. Um, but with the so iPhone, with those apps, they normally have a, a fairly small area you can hone in on a mid-tone, can't you? Yeah, yeah. it's like a spot meter. And yeah. when I've used them, they seem pretty accurate, you know? Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a... I did have, and I don't know the name of my meter, I had the little standard meter we all have, the Min... something or other. Um, and it stopped working, and I thought, oh dear... Minotaur? Yeah, mine at all, yeah. It's but, not really, I made that I know, up. It's not. <laughs> so I then went and bought my Posh because I thought if I'm going on a shoot, they need to be taken seriously. So I've got a 500 pound light meter, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I was metering the other day using one of these cameras here, and I was metering, and I was thinking, nah, I know that ain't right. <laughs> um, and it's like, so I went back to my iPhone and I said, yeah, I know that's right. And, and I did, I trusted the iPhone rather than the light meter. And that's not that the light meter's wrong. It's just, A, maybe it's probably more au fait with digital, and B, I just haven't got it set up properly, really, for, for what I'm doing. Um, but if you're getting good results, just stick with whatever you use. Well, I mean, uh, some of the electronic spot meter, I mean, I have a Minolta F, I think it is. That's and it, what I've got, and yeah. it's, it's, a good, um, it's a good meter, but there's quite a bit of faffing around to get it set yeah. up. You know? yeah. I, I'm quite interested, I've got that, um, I think you bucked back yeah. as well, didn't you, Simon? The uh, Matt Beckberger, uh, Raveni Labs. Labs. Uh, did okay. you see that? No. So this is a Kickstarter which was funded 
and some right. a couple of months ago. And it's a, a spot meter, which is so big. Okay. So big. Right. And you hold it up. You have to go and look online, David. It's ingenious. And there's loads of people who reviewed it All on right. YouTube. You hold it up to your eye and you keep this one open. All right. And, and the, the two images overlay because you don't actually, the spot meter, you can't see through it. Oh, wonderful. And so you, it's like um, pop-up vision in your eyesight, oh you my know, God. as you look at and, you, and you're using it. Uh, and it, it sounds weird, but it works really wow. well, apparently. Wow. And it's got zone system functions built into it. Wow. And all sorts of stuff. Wow, wow. Well, I have to, I have to say, the zone systems, I, I don't go there. I'm not really there. That's not where I am. Well, you um, are. You are using it, even if you don't know you are using it. Subconsciously, I'm using it, but I'm not using it via the no, chart. And you, as I you're should. using it. If you're concerned about where getting decent shadows, yeah. and you understand that relationship between exposure and development, you're using yeah. the zone system. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, it, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> even you, Simon. <laughs> even me, yeah. Even me. Even me. Yeah, well, I've sat there with my charts, and I've done it, and I suddenly yeah. thought... Yeah. You know what, sometimes you can spend so long thinking about a photograph and measuring it and looking at your tilt angles and all that, by the time you take it, the picture's dead. Well, it's like but, it's not but also, anymore. you see, um, if you're using limited materials yeah. and, you're, and you're metering and you want to just ensure that your blacks have sufficient detail, yeah. in zone system terms, that may be zone three, so two stops below yeah. medium. Well, when you... The beauty of sticking with one material is that if you start um, finding that you you haven't got that shadow detail where you thought, yeah. Well, instead of rating your film at hundred, rated at fifty. Yeah. Yeah. And then there you go. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So it doesn't mean someone else might be rating it at a hundred, and it, but that's their gear, that's their system. It's, but because you're only using, if you're chopping and changing all the time, then you really then you're chasing the dragon, aren't you? you are, really? Yeah. Whereas. I don't know, that's, that's a drug term, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Chasing your dragon with your minor talk. Yeah, that's the right meter. But that's why, it, you know, if, if, if the camera says 120 or 25th of a second, that, it's just a number. It doesn't mean to say that's what it is. No. It's just so, in other words, if you religiously take your light meter and get that and <coughs> put it into there, mm. the, the correlation between the two is. is yes, is well, light, meet, light meters, if you get anal about worrying about light meters, they can, from one to another and to a camera, they yeah. can easily be a stop difference. Yeah, easily. exactly, exactly. So, so you work with what system you have if you, if you use the same light meter or your same iPhone. Yeah. You know, exactly. And if you're not getting quite the results you want because your shadows are all blocked up, well, rate the film slower. Yeah. yeah if exactly. your highlights are blown out, then develop it for less. Yes, precisely. So, so going back to so the crown graphic, why would I shoot with the crown That's graphic? Nice, I like um, the reason I shoot with the crown graphic, so for everyone out there, it's the one without the focal plane shutter mm. in the back. So all I've got is my leaf shutter at the front. It's much lighter. And when I did a shoot up in London with Sadie and my, and my son... I was able to have this in a backpack on a, on a nice tripod. Mm. Um, it's, if I want to shoot in a studio and I want absolutely beautiful, crisp images, that's the camera every time. Um, it, it just, it's just an absolute belter. And that camera there took this shot here, uh, which I always show to people. Um, so this is the... Um, <coughs> can't really see with the light in here, but... Um, so this was a shot I took with that camera and what it is is for anyone it's it's St Paul's Cathedral so we'd finished the fashion shoot and we'd, we we did actually talk about yeah. the shot on, mm. the, on the podcast yeah. yeah and this is so I just wanted that yeah. is the camera that basically took that shot so there's a difference that's why I use that so it's just as a good working camera it's a belter so 
So yes, so that that's the cameras, guys, in here anyway, in the kitchen. And I guess we should um, head on down to the studio. Well, there was there was one question uh, that Andrew asked when we were doing the thing about working out focal lengths of lenses and yes. things like that. The other part of it was was coverage. coverage. Yeah, and um, and you know the. It, it, it's clear that if you hold it at the correct distance away at, at infinity, it, you you get you can work out your focal length from that. But you can also work out uh, or give an, again indication of, of the coverage of the lens. Yes. Um, and then well, that's at infinity, though, isn't at, it? At, at infinity, yeah, that's a good point because as, uh, as you focus closer, the image circle effectively gets larger, and therefore mm-hmm. you can it, it'll cover things. That's why sometimes when you you, you might adapt to lens. And uh, you're taking something close to you, and it's you, there's no vignetting, and then you take another shot at infi- infinity, and you've got a hard vignette. Um, so as you move the bellows, if you're focused at infinity, in order to move closer, you're moving your bellows further away from the film plane. Yeah. And if you draw on a piece of paper, you can see that that projected circle gets physically bigger. So a cone of light, isn't it? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yes. Anyway, it gets bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one one of the the things was, and this is something that's that's, that's puzzled me because we we're we're in a room um, with a it's not a particularly large window um, projecting against uh, a, a light coloured wall, and you can see a, a, a perfect um, rendition of the of the window. But the, I suppose the question is, and because I've got this problem as well, I've never really worked 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 it out, but. Is the size of the window that's being projected the the total size of the image circle, or is actually the image circle potentially a lot larger than that, depending on? I, th- I think I think uh, yeah, I think the answer to that is that we're only seeing the window because it's that that's illuminated. Yes, there's obviously a lot going on outside, but well, it's hard to see. Too isn't dark it? because unless we put a big spotlight on the wall. Yes, but what it does give you is if, for instance, if you're at a camera fair or you're in a junk shop and you see a camera or you see a lens in an old um, magic lantern, if you hold it up against the wall, it gives you a pretty good indication. If you turn that angle, lovely angle poise lamp and point it at the wall, I mm-hmm. wonder if that would just show, pick up the coverage a bit more. It won't today because it doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Because we've got so much overpowering light coming through the window, you're, you're picking that up. Yeah. And you can sense, looking at the image on the wall, you can sense there's something going on at the edge, but it's yeah. hard to define. But if you illuminated that side, yep. then maybe that would show enough to give you your coverage. Yeah, but it does give you... Or for in instance, a brighter room, I guess, if the room is brighter. What, what I've got in my hands right now is the large, big red bull, bull lens. And when I hold it up against the wall, it shows us, you know, we're getting quite a big image there. So we're pretty sure we're out here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, there's some, something going on there. I, wonder I think that's just the shadow coming oh, off the it? lens on the top here. Oh, okay. But... Um, but it gives you a ballpark, and yeah. when, when we go to the studio, and we can put some big spotlights on the back wall, then we could do it on a piece of white card, and then you'd see the full coverage that you're mm. going to get. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's 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 just a when I learned when I was shown that for the first time, it was a bit of a it's like oh right now I get it. Yeah. It's like the focal oh, right now because when you're physically moving this lens in and out, oh right okay you want the focal length, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then to be able to work out your speed, that's a bit like when Hillary was here, Hillary Clark, she came with three of her father's cameras. We didn't know what any of them were speed-wise, but we worked them all out. Uh, and we worked out the aperture and the speed of all of them, uh, which was great. And we were able to pretty much be straight in with the exposure on them because we shot on Instax. So it's, it's a nice little tip to have anyway, you know, keep it in your back pocket. So it's a good way of finding out what you've got.
Well, uh, not entirely sure exactly what we're going to do next, but I think we've just come to the end of this section, so uh, we'll catch up with you in a, in a... Well, actually, it'll be instantly, won't it? <laughs> right, we just, we've just got to Dave's studio, which is away from his house, down an absolutely beautiful country garden. So we're just going to open the door and come in. And... <laughs> It, it, it's it's quite difficult to describe um, what you look at when you walk into Dave's studio because it's well gothic is a word, um, but it's it's just in, incredible. It's, a, it's an Aladdin's cave, as uh, as that, that that phrase goes. And I'm I'm looking at hats, flowers, heads of uh, dolls, skulls, feathers. Um, pickled monkeys. Pickled? Uh, no, 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 no pickled, pickled monkeys. monkeys. Oh. Although there is a there is a, ba- a doll's baby head in a in a in a sort sure. of uh, semi. Like, actually, it looks a bit like the a small version of Hannibal Lecter's um, <laughs> cell in Silence of the Lambs, um, along with lots of medical things, um, body parts. Um, not 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 actual real body parts, but they're certainly uh, reasonably uh, convincing. But there's also, well. Normally, you would look at—is that a Super D? That, that graph uh, That's a Series D. Series D. Yeah. Now, normally, you would think of a Series D camera, which is like it's a five by four SLR, as being a large camera. But actually, it's just the filling between between two enormous pieces of bread, um, because there are two uh, huge cameras. Are, are these process cameras? Uh, I think this is a process camera. That's the Mahogany Beast is a is a large process camera. I think. Um, the only thing missing on this camera is the badge on the front, so I can't track its history. Um, what size ground glass? And I've got a 17-inch square back I can cover on that. Right. Um, and when I bought the camera, uh, this was my greatest purchase probably. I bought it. I was sat in an Asda car park uh, bidding online when when this came up. Unfortunately, it was in a it was a stately home sale. I think I've mentioned this in the last podcast. And they were selling lots of marble statues. And I don't think anyone was interested in this camera in the corner of the room. And when I went to pick it up, of course, the big thing about buying a big camera is have you got the backs for it? Because without the backs, you're a bit stuck. Um, but fortunately, it came with all the original backs. So I had all the reducing backs and then the full 17-inch square back as well for it. Um, so, uh, which is quite phenomenal. So yeah, so that's, this is a beautiful camera. Um, I didn't have a lens and I didn't have a ground glass screen, so I made the ground glass screen. It took me three, eight, three hours to grind that down. Yeah. Um, but a good friend of mine, Graham, when he comes and looks through it, it's just like watching high definition television. It's just, yeah. it's just, the moment I put that lens on for the first time and looked through the back, it was like, oh yeah, it works. Um, I, was, I was going to say, because the, the other thing that, that struck me when I walked in here is there's a there's a, a torso of a, a mannequin of some description. I, I, there's probably a, a proper yep. name for, for for what I'm looking at. It's a it's a wasp waist dressmaker's Victorian, um, yeah, body part really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, mannequin. When and, women had really tight waists, yeah. but they didn't really and, do they? And a yeah, a really tight corset that looks painful. I've, I've yeah. got to say. And uh, and that, this 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 thing is um, it's in pretty poor condition, but it looks great at the same time. And there's a there's a there's a piece on the top of it. What, what even do we call that? Um, they're I, they're called um, chest pieces. Uh, they're designed by 
a good friend of mine, a designer, Dolly's Follies, uh, she makes uh, beautiful fascinators for headpieces and she makes these chess pieces. And the combination of her work and my photography just works really well together. So the feather piece as well. Um, there was there was a series on television called um, Taboo with Tom Hardy. I don't know if yeah. anyone saw yeah. it. Uh, and I was always fascinated by his sister in it. She's just this yeah. wonderful woman in it. Well, I managed to track down the BBC designer who designed her costumes. And I found her on Instagram and I wrote to her. And she was absolutely wonderful. And she came straight back to me. She told me all the feathers I needed to make the outfit. And we follow each other on Instagram. That's the beauty of social media. So she was helping me to build this. Basically, the shoot I was doing was like um, sort of Parisian brothel sort of shoot, really. And as, as you do. As I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I shot that with Sadie down the lane. Uh, with black outfit, with all these feathers and canes and top hats and uh, a morning veil that would hang down, a Victorian morning veil over the front. Uh, and we shot that with the Series um, series D. Um, so, yeah, so I bought this lovely mannequin piece because it, exactly because of the reason it's the state it's in, because yeah. it's it's what I want. And it when people walk into the studio, it's just a lovely centrepiece for a workshop. Yeah, to focus on just just to finish off the description of this 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 chess piece it, it's um it's it's largely made of feathers that, that covers the the, the 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 torso and the and the shoulders and there's also uh a, a, a quite a large necklace uh with with black uh stones set in what look like antique well it's, it's much like brasses it does like gold mm. and then there were three skulls um with uh, with these black jewels um, black, black crucifixes on them as well. I'm not entirely sure what the what the animals are. Those uh, I think rats. Uh, rats. Well, they, there you go. And, and which would be completely appropriate. And there are also some other um, bones uh, on there as well. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's yeah. just an, an incredible piece, and it, and it just fits the space that we're in. You yeah. know, it, it's a remarkable piece, and it just fits into this this room effortlessly. <laughs> you know, uh, we yeah. we've got. Um, corrugated uh, corrugated walls uh, we've got lots of uh, of dave's um, photographs uh, it, that are framed in some you know really grand and in some cases quite gothic and even science fiction um frames i mean there's uh, there's a there's a mirror uh, that we were chatting about earlier and uh, and it was from the i don't know if he actually made it or was inspired by or, it's inspired by yeah, yeah um, the the chap that uh, designed uh, alien um, the actual uh, the actual creature and uh, yeah it's 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 remarkable how so many different styles um, are going together and actually making the whole i mean even as as, as windows here he's, he's got a you know a, i don't know if he came out of a church or uh, or a house that was about 400 years old or so they were donated to me by an old girlfriend from a house she was restoring yeah so yeah they all went in yeah. um one of my one of my plans is to build a, a stained glass window out of wet plate colonial images so i'm going to go on a course for wet plate um, sorry for stained glass window making and so i can do a series of images and that but they'll all be held within a gothic um um uh, stained glass window piece i've got at the top here, I've got two of the original um, prints, cartoons in here for, I think it's Portsmouth Cathedral. Uh, and it's the original stained glass window templates yeah. that they used to draw them from. So I've got 
that's another piece to work on. That's another big piece to work on. Yeah. But yeah, that's the stained glass. I love stained glass. Yeah, absolutely. as you know, gothic. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And now this this takes us neat, neatly back to where we where we first came in, where um, I talked about you know a, a Series D camera uh, looking quite small uh, <laughs> in between two two very very large large cameras, and uh, um, both of which are uh, trained upon uh, the, the the mannequin and uh, and and it's. I'm, I'm just looking at the, the smaller of the two. And how, how, how big is the ground glass on that smaller one? That, I mean, that's probably about 12 by 14, the ground yeah. glass, I think, yeah. Yeah, and, and when, the, when the lights are uh, sitting on it correctly, um, it's focused upon the, 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 the figure um, and it's blowing the, the background out and the background is just, you know, it's just really, really interesting with those you know, really ornate... Um, pictures which are all quite dark and, and gothic again and and if anybody I, I'll challenge anybody not to come into this this room and, and look at this this mannequin and not be completely blown away um, <laughs> by the by the sight uh, of this and it, it, it just it, you know truly shows what large format can actually do um, because it's in perfect focus and everything else is 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 behind it um, but when when you people talk about that three D pop, that three D look that you get, I mean, this has got it in spades. It's so it's absolutely beautiful. The lens on there is the the eighteen ninety four Dalmeyer three B, and up on the wall there, I'll show it to you in a minute. There's a photocopy from the original ledger uh, of the day the lens was sold, which yeah. was January the eighth, eighteen ninety four, and the man it was sold to, because the serial numbers on there. Um, which is part of what I, I love about this historical photography. You can trace it all the way back. You know, you can see yeah. the day the lens, that, that lens was sold and was written in the book. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 so it's the 1894 portrait lens, and you can't go wrong with it. It's just yeah. a stunning, stunning, stunning lens until it drops out of the camera one day, but that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, there you go. So that's what it does. I mean, actually, if you come round here... Uh, Andrew, you might find I can get my iPhone to look through the back of there and you can see the image through the back. Yeah, I was just doing it with the Facebook because we're on Facebook Live again, so we've got Simon doing a podcast. It's all quite weird, really. And then Facebook Live. Do you want to see if you can get your iPhone uh, on the back through there? The camera right into the back of the uh, the, the Series D. I I often use that to show uh, the models. Shall I do it? Here we go. There you go. So if you go in closely, there you go. There you go. And then you can click on the focus. Yeah, so what I often do is when I'm shooting with a model, I'll take a picture with the iPhone through the viewfinder, show it to her, yeah. and we build the picture up that way. Yeah. Um, so the studio is, most people call it the, I mean, I call it the Studio of Strange or the Old Curiosity Shop. I think that probably best describes it. Yeah. And then that's my grandmother's cabinet that's lit up. Um, and it's just full of whatever I find, really. I love religious artefacts. <laughs> Dolls, as you can probably tell, um, and just old photographs and old bits of cameras. Some of this reminds me of Toy Story when that guy ripped up dolls and made yes. hideous contraptions. Yeah. Do you remember, yeah. Do you remember? Yes. Yes. this one yes. in particular? Isn't she lovely? She's a, she was actually a, a pin cushion. That's what I bought her as. But I just thought, I look at the beauty of this, the craftsmanship, and I think that leads me back to the old cameras as well. There's real craftsmanship in this stuff, you know, in this old stuff. And history. I mean, look at this lovely little face up here. She's just so beautiful. This is this is actually very very difficult to describe what we're actually seeing at the, well, at the it, moment. It's a cabinet with yeah. full of glass 
uh, shelves, um, mirrored shelves, and it's got lots of, for instance, the heads off of old dolls, um, which are particularly interesting because the light, because they have no top to their head, the light comes through their eyes, which gives them a really demonic look. So they're stuck on the top of old think, light sockets. I don't think I'll be sleeping in here. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll be sleeping in here later. Um, this is this is something that came with. I bought an enlarger once, um, and this came with it, which is in. It's a photographic department, and this beautiful interchangeable super Eva glass micromatic. I have no idea what it's for, apart from the fact it's. It's all made of glass, and it's just precision of these two coming together. Uh, but just, just to explain, we're looking at a, a very large glass syringe. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's in millilitres as well, so... And it actually is all made of glass. The, the, yeah. actual, the, 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 the precision of the glass movement, if one inside the other, is just stunning. Um, apart from that, we've got jars there with Barbie's legs in and rat's heads. Um, <laughs> as you do. That's this one here is very interesting. This is a this is a badger's head, okay? And this came about, and we'll see this in a minute when I take you into the dark room. When I was doing a photo shoot, and it was the very first photo shoot I ever did with the Series D, and I was shooting with a good friend of mine, Gabriella, and we were doing an angel shoot, and she was at the top of a stepladder in the middle of a field wearing the angel's wings. And the nice thing about it is with that shoot, Jeff would produce some waterhouse stops for me. So although I was shooting with a 2.8 lens in bright sunlight at f400, I could put the waterhouse stops on the front and get... Just, just for our, our listeners, say you're talking about Jeff, Jeff Perry of 20th Century. Jeff Perry of 20th Century, yeah. So he does all my, all my large format camera work for me. Uh, and he produced this camera for me, which has got tilt on it, front tilt, movement all over the place, um, which is my workhorse camera. Um, but he made these waterhouse stops for me, and that enabled me to be able to... Um, put them over the top and stop the lens down enough that I could still get enough light. Anyway, I digress. While I was... This is where it all falls out, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not going to touch it because I'll just it's that break, bit I'll break it. Oh, okay. oh, right, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 So that gives me the That's movement weird, I've got. So I can play a lot with this lens mm -hmm. and create amazing depths of field. So it's actually started to become my studio camera now as well, as well as my uh, on-location camera. Mm, because, it, it, because it creates... Um, Weird perspective. If I'm doing a portrait with this, I can have the eyes in focus, but I can have the chest and the cheek completely out of focus. So you'd start to really play with Yeah, so you're getting all the benefits of those large format movements, but actually it's much easier, isn't it? You and, know? and because of the eyepiece on the top... You've got direct vision of it, and then you can click. When exactly, it's yeah. exactly. Um, but the reason I mm. talk about the, the, um, the head of the badger is we were doing a shoot with this camera for the very first time, and in the corn, right below me, was a complete corpse of a, um, of a badger that had obviously been killed. And it was all there, and it had obviously been eaten by various animals um, to the point that it was almost gone. And I brought it back to the house, and for two years it was in my garden, bleaching away. And recently, the lady at Dolly's Follies, who, who, whose beautiful pieces, I gave her all the bones, and she's made me a beautiful chess piece from the bones of that animal, which I think is lovely because I found that animal yeah. and now it's back in my studio as a piece of art, you know. So, um, yeah, so that, that, that's, that's the link to that one anyway. So, And then the rest of it is just various heads and, and weird bits hanging around. And then what I tend to find is a lot of models, when they come into my studio, 
like you, tend to look around a lot and be excited by what they see. And then they choose things to pose with. So the shoot I, we did with Katerina recently, she's holding this piece, which is a, a ram's head with skull, uh, down below her, so you can't see anything of her nether region sort of thing. She's got a very long wig on, and I walked out, and she was wearing an old girlfriend of mine came and gave me this mummified head of a um, monk jack that she found was in her barn. a parting barn. gift to you, was it? Yeah, it was a parting gift, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a little love thing. Um, and I came out and Katerina was wearing this on her head. And, uh, and we just created this crazy, dramatic um, wet plate collodion shot. Um, so that's, that's what I like, the fact that people come in here and then they just get inspired. And I mean, up here there are boxes and boxes and boxes of clothing. I've got wedding dresses over the back there. I've got Victorian um, morning masks. There's fencing. There's a fence, women's fencing outfit up there. Um, there's some Arabic stuff. Um, yeah, and it's just it's all a bit weird, but it's, it suits what I do, really, um, which is hopefully not the norm. I've got backdrops I can drop in as well, which we use. Um, but once I've got a log fire going on here in the winter, you yeah. know, we've got a nice fire going, and I've got some pumping music going on, um, I can lose myself for eight hours in here, you know. We've done shot, I've done shoots with models in here and we get carried away and we'll end up shooting for ten hours. Um, there's one model I shoot with, Sheena, and she wears all incredible latex outfits and she takes hours to put it all together. And then we shot, I mean, it's just crazy amount of time we shoot for. But the beauty of a large format and, all, and shooting this way is you never quite know what you're going to get. You kind of plan the shoot. But it takes its own course yeah. once you start going on it, you know. Um, and it's so nice to capture with these old lenses as well. So, yeah, so that, that's it. That's my little workspace. This is probably the worst buy I ever made up the top here. I'll tell you about that. I was bidding on a camera, which was a, a, a Soho camera. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Scott of the Antarctic, when he went and did his fated trip, he went with him with Herbert Ponting, who's my, one of my favourite photographers of all time. And Herbert Ponting took uh, thousands of plates. And anyway, there was a Soho camera up for sale. Uh, and I was going to put a bid on it. And I basically pulled the tendon off my finger. So as I went in to check where my bid was, my finger brushed across and it said, sold. And I thought, what the hell was that? And I ended up buying um, a set of reindeer. <laughs> and, and I contacted them and I said... Um, I bought. So she said yes. She said we never thought we'd sell those. And when, <laughs> when, when someone bid on it, a huge cheer went up inside the auction house. <laughs> and I said, "Can I put them back into the auction?" She said, "You can." And I said, "No, I'm going to keep them. <laughs> so they'll be good for a shoot one day." So yeah. So the joys of online auction bidding. So yeah. So yes, that this is my workspace, um, full of tripods, lighting mounts. Um, my latest lighting system, which I'm just putting in because I need a lot of power. Um, unlike Shane um, in America, I didn't build mine with a complete glass side, yeah. which I should have done as a wet plate for face, face Facing north as well. Yeah, but he's got more light around him than you probably get I here. Probably has, yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so I rely on a lot of light. Um, the whole village will dim later when we use the lights. So... Um, yeah, so this this is studio. Um, just before we started recording, um, we were talking about uh, the, the the two cameras and uh, the two large large cameras, and 
um, Andrew was asking you about um, the contraption that they're sitting on. Yeah. And uh, and there's some good advantages over over it being a tripod, aren't there? Definitely. Definitely. So if you if you can describe what it is that we're, that okay. we're looking at. So so what this is is uh, unbeknown. I bought this. Um, I was bidding on the, um, Cook produce a beautiful portrait lens. I've got a 12, 12 and a half inch portrait lens that was in an old camera. It's an old Kodak number eight camera, which I've got up the top there. And it all came on this stand, this beautiful stand. And the, and the beauty of this stand is it's got a, um, a horizontal back on it, which is probably 24 inches by 18 inches flat. Um, and I didn't realize, I didn't appreciate quite how important that is for large cameras because a lot of my large cameras used to sit on tripods and the problem with the tripod is I'm always terrified I'm going to strip the thread and the whole lot will tumble to the floor you know Um, and the other thing about that is is no matter how strong your tripod is there's usually a little bit of wobble you know when you take the shot or you push the release where this is a complete flat back Um, it's I don't really know how old it's Victorian I think but I can now take the back from ground level there's just basically a huge mangle on the side which is just like an old washing mangle it's spring-loaded so it 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 winds itself back up again and it gives me this beautiful flat base to work from and i've also got some tilt on the back as well i've recently made a new base for it purely so i want to put some big industrial legs in there and i wanted to raise the camera a few inches so i've just made this so it's just easier to get around so and and when you say you made a new base, I mean it's a dolly, isn't it? So it's, yeah, I uh, made so a big tri- uh, three-legged dolly, yeah, um, with wheels, big wheels on it. Um, a so I can raise it, and B it just gives me a slightly smoother transport as I'm moving the camera around. Um, yeah, I mean looking at the the actual frame itself before the the dolly was put on it. Um, did it have wheels on it before, or was it or was it? It came. To, it, to I bought it without wheels. I did put wheels on it, but I found them sticking too much, and and I didn't want to move. I don't want to jolt the camera too much, so this for me felt a, a better solution. Mm. It just it was flat. It just moves. It glides around the studio a lot more now. Um, the other large camera, the big mahogany camera, has got small wheels on it. It does it does move pretty well, because the camera is so heavy, it it tracks across the ground quite well, sort of thing. Um, I mean that. The big mahogany camera is a work of art. The bellows extension on this camera is just over six foot. <laughs> so I've got a six foot bellows extension. Um, so if I want to do macro photography with this camera, I can do it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, as you know, you can see it, can't you? It's just, you can't, obviously on the podcast you can't see it, but it's just a stunning piece of furniture as much as anything else. Um, you've, you've got to be good at your bellows extension calculations there for your exposure, haven't you, really, to get that right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, um, the beauty of this camera is that even the bellows are in good condition. So, um, you know, so I got lucky with that one. But it's just a, just a lovely piece of work of art. You know, it's just mangle wheels and cogs that go around. And I think why a lot of us like large format photography, because it's just mechanical. You know, it's all, there's no electrical bits on it. It obviously at one point had a um, a Packard shutter attachment because you can see the small hole at the front. Yeah. And so inside it would have had a Packard shutter just inside here, or one of the clamshell ones that opens and shuts. Um, is the Packard one? Sorry, is the Packard one? That I had one once on an old camera and it never worked. But with a little bit of 
string that you pull. Yeah. Is that, is that it? That's it, isn't it? So this is uh, what... No, 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 that's uh, that's like... No, you're thinking of the Thornton Pickard. Oh, you're thinking so, of the Thornton Ah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. this yeah. is the Packard shutter. Yeah. Right. So this is the the shutter I bought. Um, Close. <laughs> Close, yeah. Um, so this, I've, I've built a frame for it, and I've put a tripod mount on it. So it's a 1920s, I think, Packard shutter, which is vacuum-controlled. Um, so as I push the button, or squeeze the trigger, uh, the shutter opens. I can either have it in two positions where I open it, leave it open until I let go for a longer exposure, or I can do a timed exposure when I put the pin through. And I, depending on how I depress the plunger, I can change the speed, Oops. Um, which I've timed as well. We're waiting for modern equivalents to be made, aren't we? Maybe not quite as big as that. but. And this sits on a tripod and just sits in front of here, like that. And then I'm just ready to take my shot and click, I get my shot. So that's how we go from a barrel lens with a timed exposure. Yeah. So on this camera I've been doing film 8 by 10 shots. So when... So my favourite photographer is, is George Harrell, who did the 1940s Hollywood shots. And if you look at his, if you look at any of his work, he's using the same stand as this, yeah. exactly the same stand. He's using a Cook portrait lens, and he's using a Packard shutter. Yeah. So I thought, I've got no excuse. If he could do it, you know, why can't I do it? So. But they're pretty rare to find, are they? They're, 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 they're not. They're, yeah, they're still be, they're still being made new by the original company. Um, but the, the beauty of these is. You take them apart; they're so simple to, yeah. to mend. You know, you can just, and it's just so logical. I mean, I think there's a fortieth of a second I'm getting out of that. Um, it just works. You know, it just does its thing. Um, so it means that suddenly, because when I was shooting the lady in um, laying on my bridge at my pond, nude sort of thing, oh, I know. Yeah. Um, I was able to use. I was using a bowler hat, but I can't do a bowler hat in a quarter of a second well you can have a guess but it's yeah difficult isn't it i did see somebody once who has two um dark slides and they put the dark slides and they've got this technique where they do that <laughs> they open them and shut them but uh, it all seemed a bit faffy to me that, so, was, like, uh, that was like in like a you know, like a fan opening and closing yeah, like a fan. Yeah. they got to make yeah. but i thought i mean there's various things that there people i know shane's got a guillotine one and where it just drops down the gravity drops the guillotine and it just yeah. goes past that way um and as is borut yeah, uh, but it's got uh, yeah. a, a similar kind of setup, hasn't it? Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's that's it. I mean, most of the, the wet plate stuff I do with these cameras don't require that because I want as much light as possible. When I shoot with the mahogany beast, if I shoot film with that, I always shoot at f sixty four because I want the lens as small as that because I'm trying to get my exposure down to four seconds or three seconds, so that I've got time to take the hat off and time it and do it that way. I could now do it with the Packard shutter, but. I actually love the detail that it gives me when I shoot at that tiny little f-stop. The whole world's in focus at that point. It's ridiculous. Um, so that lens there I was given, it's just a Carl Zeiss something or other. I can't remember what it is. It's a Tessar. Is uh, it? 50, well, it's a 500 mil, 500 okay. mil uh, effectively. Uh, I was, the that's... guy that services my Rolly Flex cameras, Brian Mickleborough, he, he said, I've got a lens for you out in the garage somewhere. And he wandered out with this. Yeah. It was filthy. And I sort of sat on a park bench or sat in the garden and cleaned it all out. And it's just a cracking lens, you know, you've seen the back of the camera. Yeah. So so there you go, there's my three cameras really. That's that's my that is my workhorse, apart from my crown graphic. This is what I would shoot with most of the time. The super reflex would be outdoors from Jeff and the new bomb camera. 
from uh, Maxi in Italy. So, and then whatever lens I choose to put in there. So, and then I could take you through to the dark room. So through here, um, last time you were in Andrew, there wasn't a door there. So I sold the car that was in there. And now this is my gallery stroke dark room. So if we go through here. It wasn't the car from the Adams family or anything like that, was it? <laughs> no, it was a beautiful Carmen gear. Ah. Um, so this is now my models changing room. Uh, oh, my gallery. Got a scooter to uh, put your models on as well. My 1957, yeah, Lambretta, um, and my dark room, which is where, yeah. So it basically, gives me a lot more space now yeah. to move around. Yeah, that's much better, isn't it? Um, my cameras are all up the top there. These are all my handmade cameras that I build. That's my pinhole cameras, pinhole cameras, more pinhole cameras. Um, stocks of film, getting a bit limited now. My FOMA 400. And then over here is, is my workspace for large format photography, uh, for um, plate photography. So, yeah, it's just another curio cabinet of weirdness again and old photographic techniques and bits and bobs, really. So, and, and Andrew, as a, as a darkroom aficionado, do you, would you like to describe what you're looking at in here and what, you, what, you, what your feelings are? Because it's an incredible, another incredible space, and unlike any darkroom I've ever been in. Well, it's more than a darkroom, isn't it, really? It's... Uh... It's a. It's just what you'd expect bolted onto what we've just seen, really. I mean, there, there is a, a De Vere five by four, enlarger with a, a condenser head on in the corner, which is Dave's main uh, means of making a print. Yep. There's a 3D printer next to it, but we'll skip over that for the moment. Um, next to that is just some areas for doing things with plates, which we don't understand, but maybe we will do later. And then he's got a couple of sinks for washing because you need sinks for washing. And what else have we got? We've got a cat. We've got a cupboard with all sorts of things in, um, which are your wet plate chemicals and things, are they? It's all. Or is it? Or is it for display purposes only? It, it's got my chemicals in it. It's also got lots of historical photography things mm. in it, which I collect. Um, so it's got original Ilford stereo plates that have never been opened, glass lantern plates. I've got some. Yeah, just various bits of original darkroom paraphernalia that tends to find its way to me. Some developing tanks. Don't know what that is. It's beeping. Oh, <laughs> you got some American woman talking to you there. Yeah, I had one of those the other day. It's, um, it's like some kind of a alert system to uh, tell you that the world's ending or something like that. But this space here is more than a darkroom. Last time I was here, there was a, a car here, but now there's a Lambretta. And in Shane Balkowicz style, we have a wall full of um, wet plate collodion images, framed, framed um, amber-type, tin-type pictures, yeah. which is stunning. Yeah, Many of them framed in old uh, wooden... Dark slide backs and things like that, I guess. Yeah, I tend to look for plate holders to keep the plate them. holders, yeah. And then old frames. Um, oh, and there's your bottle of dolls that I was. It's my jar of doll missing. pieces, yeah. Um, and then we have Eric in the corner. Eric, yeah, a few Eric's. Yeah, there's a few Eric yeah. knocking around. Um, Fine figure of a specimen. She's marvellous, isn't she? So, yeah. So yeah, it's um, it's a place for me to when I'm doing workshops, we can sit and talk, discuss, drink tea. Models have privacy and come in here and get changed, um, and somewhere for me to keep all my plates. So, um, 
This is my amber type box over the back here. Um, this is where I keep. Let's get that moving forward a bit. This is where I keep all my um, plates before they get varnished. So these are my 10-8 uh, in tin types. Uh, but these are, more importantly, these are my amber types, um, which tend to go in here while I'm waiting to do contact prints off them or something. Um, I was going to say, just, just for, for the benefit of listeners that haven't heard many of our previous shows, uh, what's the difference between a tin type and an amber type? Okay, so a tin type is um, produced, um, it's wet plate collodion, and you put the collodion onto a sheet of black tin, anodized tin, um, and you end up with a direct positive plate immediately. Whereas an amber type is uh, the same solution, but it goes onto a sheet of glass and it creates a negative print. It's negative, obviously, when it's on a, uh, on a light background. And when it goes onto a black background, it turns into a positive. So um, you can have an amber type and then put the black yes. blackness on the back yes, you can. to you view can. it as a positive. That's what they would originally do. Yep. Uh, you would just coat the back of it and it would become positive. But I tend, I've got this cabinet where I keep all my amber types ready for contact printing. So I can do contact prints off of them. And I don't like to varnish my amber types, so that's why I keep them safe in there. And then I have a large collection of uh, tin types that need varnishing and amber types as well from various shoots that have been going on recently. Yeah, so that's that's it. There's a huge box here full of 5x4 film holders, various ages, and yeah, that's it, my Devere 54. What more could you want? That's all I need really, it's my space. So yeah, lots of drying racks, lots of modifying backs because I work at different size plates, I create different size weird things, so I create my own backs to go in the camera. Um, that, yeah, that gives me all the different sizes. Addition, I've now got hot water in my in my dark room, which is a huge help. Running Just having water. water is a delight. Yeah. I've never had it, but then um, if, if you, I think for alternative processing, you got to have it with wet plate it's really helpful yeah yeah, yeah. um over the back there i've got my um uh where is it it's my canadian ice fishing tent which is my portable dark room tent uh for wet plate collodion which is where i'm out in the field i can take and do stuff out there yeah so it's all in here and then there's just series of prints lenses that's the biggest lens I've ever had is that massive thing over the back there which i want to make a van camera out of one day or a lorry camera um that's another little project I'm working on at the moment, um, how I can use it. But it turned out to be that camera, had, that lens had fungus in it. That was out of a World War II bomber, that thing. Um, it's just ways, and that, I mean, it's just insane, the weight of this lens. Um, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the big Ektar, isn't that's it? That's the big, uh, big Ektar, yeah. Ector. Yeah, it's just yeah. a ginormous thing. Um, I have no idea why I bought it. It just it seemed a good idea at the time. Um, I will do something one day with it over the years. Oh, it's a shame it's got that, that balsam separation on there where you've got those like... Um, yeah, you've got fungus in there. Yeah, but, but where you've got those... Um, it almost looks like an, in, an impact on, on ice or something yeah. like that. And yeah. that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. that's where, where yeah. to the... Uh, uh, it was a gamble. When I didn't, to be honest, the whole shebang cost me 40 quid, I think. So yeah. it's, like, it's worth a gamble on that price. 
Um, to, to be honest, it would probably not be that bad if I actually had it in a van. I don't think it'd be an issue in the slightest. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, on, on the smaller formats, we can get obsessive about yeah. uh, about fungus and, yeah. uh, and and bolts of separation and haze yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But when you when you're talking large format, it just doesn't matter as much because you know, you're using. Well, you know, your image is that much larger. It, those those little things matter less. Talk, yeah, especially with wet plate. If I'm sh- if I'm going to shoot something like a twenty four inch square glass plate, it doesn't really matter. And also, it's the anomalies and the weird light effects that I love. Yeah. So t- to be honest, I'd, I'd probably hit it anyway with that. No, I wouldn't hit it with a hammer. But um, yeah, and then and then here is my fridge full of chemicals, which are my uh, keep it dark and cool. That's the top line. Um, various bottles of varnish along this side, plate darkener, collodion that we'll be using today, um, plate developer we'll be using, varnish we won't be using, uh, 8 by 10 x-ray film, five per f- uh, 8 by 10 uh, foamer, and then these are lovely, I've been shooting with some of these, these are expired 1940s films, um, which I managed to get hold of, which are quite fun to practice with. So yeah, so there's enough here to keep me going for the next 20 years, I'd say, really, in here. <laughs> I don't need to come out, let's be honest. Um, yeah, and then in here is, this is um, coloured uh, portrait waiting to be developed. Uh, and I've got a whole series of expired um, colour uh, negatives up here, which I've, I've got round, not yet got round to um, actually experimenting with yet. I've even got some weird things that came with the camera and I don't know what it is. It's got a chemical in it, but I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> so that's half the joy of it all, isn't it, really? And it's just, I, and I, I love just being surrounded by this stuff. It's just so lovely. I mean, I love the fact that when I'm doing wet plate collodion and I'm doing amber types, part of the process involves me separating egg whites and mixing it with water. You know, and I think there's not many chances you get to use egg whites in photography. So... Um, well, not not these days no. anyway. Meringues, maybe. Meringues. And these are my deep deep tanks for my big... So in the bottom there are the big Kodak deep tanks. But there's too much chemicals needed for one of those, so I don't bother with those. So I'm using the other thing. So, so yeah, that's my stu- this is my darkroom stroke um, gallery, really. There you go. Welcome. Right. Now then, you've just <laughs> listened to part one of the LFPP on tour at Dave Shrimpton's studio. Um, and now we're back in our, our usual place and we're, we're back with somebody that has been very quiet for the last 90 minutes uh, because <laughs> Eric is back with us. So uh, welcome, Eric. Because I'm not here. No. Um, hey, gentlemen. I use that term loosely, but with affection. How are things over on the other side of the pond? They, they, they. I think they're absolutely fantastic. Especially, I'm still on the buzz from from being with Dave. Uh, that was an absolutely saying, incredible day. We had. I see you're on a buzz for actually like being with people. How weird. I mean, is that? I don't know what it's like over there, but over here, it's really, really. It just feels surreal to actually walk out of your place. Not just walk out of your place, but like go somewhere where there's other people, and they're not even necessarily socially distanced. It, it feels both bizarre and dangerous and surreal like it's it's funny you should mention that because uh, about a week and a half ago i, I went on a photo walk that was uh, organized by uh, paul from analog wonderland um and the the walk was in oxford 
and loads of people turned up. In fact, you know, there was a limit on how people, how many people could turn up for it, uh, legally speaking. And I think we we bounced off that limit, and um, and it was a really odd thing. And it's, it, what was also interesting about it is uh, there were a couple of guys from the Sun Sixteen podcast. There was Aid and Graham. And they made a whole show on just about how odd it was to actually be with people. And, it, and, it, and yeah. you're absolutely right. It, it is odd, but it's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic to actually be able to speak to people again. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a photo op coming up for EBCO in July. And it'll be the first, like, in-person. Because, you know, we've been doing, like, virtual photo walks where it's, like, choose a subject. Everybody go shoot, like, the day before, two days before. And then have a virtual meetup of the work afterwards, you know. And... Um, that's all fine and good and whatever, but it's, it's not the same. So it'll be because Ebco photo, I don't know about you guys, but like our photo walks inevitably end up at a bar or, a, or a brewery or something, you know, with like a gear strewn all over a table intermixed with like pints of beer and whatever. Um, for, you know, photographers and alcohol, I guess, um, <laughs> two subjects, which will be forever inextricably linked. Um, and uh, you can't you can't really do that that well, uh, virtually. You know, I mean, you can, but it's just it's just not it's just not the same no. at all. No. So, sort of like walking into somebody's like studio, and like you guys just did, and like getting a tour and taking photographs and going to their dark room and and whatnot, like actually like interviewing people in person. Um, without masks on, or were you masked up? Were you guys masked up? You were far too no. clear to be masked up. No, no like we, you were we, we weren't, but um, we, we maintained, for the most part, uh, good social distancing, and we were all double vaccinated as well. Not that that actually should give you, it doesn't give you immunity, it just reduces your chances of, uh, yeah. get, of getting the Rona. Um, totally, the Rona. Well, but I mean, I have to, I have to ask, like, is his studio i mean there's descriptions of it and like the occasional photos on his instagram but is it as just completely off the hook like i, I watched i mean I'm a, I'm a fan right of youtube but also of him um and uh like his studio is just seems like a playground of just props and crack you know he's got obviously well he has me he has he has a, a, a bald naked no hair me um with a, with with a very with a very manly chest, um, <laughs> Andrew, which Andrew can't, apparently can't keep his hands off of. Um, but like, there's not just the chest either. Uh, okay, okay, I feel violated. We're stopping there. Um, but with like, just props galore. Like, what is what is how big is that space? Well, I, I, like. I, I, I would say that seeing that you asked that question, um, you've not actually been listening to the last hour and a half of this podcast, have you? Well, not in its entirety, no. No, no. We did. We, we did. We did send the podcast to you, and then just in the did. Uh, did. just in, in in the chat we just had, um, you were saying like, "Yeah, well, I've heard the six minutes of it." I goes, "No, there's ninety minutes." Oh, was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, so yeah, so I knew it was that. But um, this, and ladies and gentlemen, now we come to the uh, the the much missed hazing of Eric. It's totally fine. I'm still the intern, <laughs> well, so it's okay. Haze the intern. It's totally fine. Well, I've I've, I've got to say that um, although you've just listened to uh, ninety minutes of of Andrew and I uh, in this section, Andrew is just is is 
he is here and you've just heard him mumbling a couple of times but uh, say hello andrew hello andrew <laughs> well, it's, it's good to have he's you suddenly a sh- he's suddenly a shy retiring violet like how does that work yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you you were making up for lost time and lost airspace eric far be it, far be it for me to interject i would say that listen to your conversation about social distancing and the, and the oxford photo walk when that was announced and it was announced i don't know two or three months ago a couple of months ago um I, I knew about it and I could have jumped straight on it, you know, cause it, and I thought, mm. so I'm, a, I'm a bit wary about 30 people, you know, meeting up. So I said, it might be a little bit soon for me, uh, but actually now I'd go, I'd jump at it. Maybe that's because partly because, you know, I've had two jabs and I know Simon, it doesn't make us immune, but it certainly reduces the risk somewhat. And m- most of the folks that we would be meeting up with, well, I don't know. I'm making an assumption now that they're all of an age where they might have had two jabs, but there were certainly some young guys there. Um, but, I mean, I went out last week. I was in Liverpool and went out with nine people, um, and we went and had beer and went and had a, a meal. Okay, we had a table of five and four because, strictly speaking, you weren't supposed to have nine of you, and none of us were wearing masks, but everyone had been double jabbed. And and I think I'm getting to a point where, do you know what, I just I can't be a hermit anymore, you know? Uh, I, yeah, I still put my exactly. mask on. I'm still putting my mask on when I go into shops. Uh, I'm, you know, not get, getting over familiar with strangers. You'll be pleased to know. And um, but uh, I'd certainly go now if it was if it was being organised for this weekend. I'd I'd go. I wouldn't have a problem now. But almost a year of living in fear, to be quite truthful, you know. Yeah, fear or just exceptional levels of caution. Yeah, probably. You know. As the case may be. And like, yeah, when you see people inside stores without masks, it's it's still like just uncomfortable. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you you doing? You know, like, I don't know. I'm exempt. I've got a card that says I'm exempt. Look, not me. I'm just, it's what they do. Well, just, get off my lawn. Well, just, just, just to, I just, just realised that we've not really this. This chat is, um, is hasn't really had much context um, for our, our dear listener. Um, As usual, yes, exactly. And it's, 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 it's a case of uh, we've, we've, our day with Dave um, was quite a long day, and it was very interesting. And uh, so, what we've done is uh, split. Uh, the audio into two parts so you've heard the first part and we're going to do the second part in the next time the podcast goes out and uh, what this is this is more of a uh, a reflection upon our day um, chat about it but that's now going to be a little bit limited because only two people know what went on uh, for for reasons we discussed earlier Um, but we, we're going to cover some of the, some of the things that we actually happened there, and and I think the the first thing that I, I really want to uh, talk about uh, regarding our day, and probably the most important thing that actually happened there, and it was um, our discussion about coffee um, right at the start, um, and uh, in particular um, there were aspersions about the quality of Stoke-on-Trent water uh, given by Andrew, and I think he might be right. Um, because uh, I, can't, I can't make uh, good coffee uh, with the, uh, the 
Coco Bolo coffee that's been sent to me unless I go to Cheshire and have water from Cheshire which is not really that practical for me um, but what I did actually find out well what I decided to do when I got back and had another coffee um, was that I used little coffee that um, comes in a tin it's actually half decent but, uh, but it's it's a little bit um, the flavors in it it's it's well, probably because of the stoke water, actually. It, it, just, it just like hits you in the face and coffee and that's it. Um, and so what I did, I, I've modified uh, my coffee now and I, I use, uh, I largely fill the coffee uh, basket up with the usual little coffee. But then I've been putting a couple of teaspoons of the, uh, the Coco Bolo coffee in and it's made such a difference. Um, blending those two together and uh you've been so, cutting your shit have you is that what you've been doing <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> and, um, <laughs> that's uh yeah you, you you know far too much about that andrew than i would have realized but uh but yeah so um if you are in a situation like me and uh, you've got problems with your coffee um then you can always try and blend it yourself and uh and and i can say that uh, i did a bit of cocoa bowl of coffee um is excellent added to uh little coffee so the, the quality of water in London is, um, is, is, it's always been said that you need to have a drink of water out of the tap. It's probably been through, I don't know, I'm making up the number now, 12 people's bodies before it reaches you in that pint. I don't, uh, I don't know how many bodies it would have passed through in Stoke-on-Trent. Um, don't know if you have that statistic to hand, but I'm thinking maybe that, um, you know, maybe the, the quality of we in uh, in London is perhaps is of a higher standard. Maybe the diet's better, or um, or it's just know, more standard intense. living. Yeah, it's just more of an intense. Yeah, so, you know, who knows? There's a lot of people who are taking the piss in London. Well, Quite literally, Stoke Stoke Water is rock hard. So um, so I think that's I think that's where the problem is. So we just need tougher coffee, or we need to soften it a little bit with a with a bit of uh, Coca Bolo coffee. Mm-hmm. And did you make it in your espresso maker? Eric, do you, want to, do you want to comment on that? You know, I, I am uh, far be it for me of all people to get in a tomato, tomato, you know, sort of argument, I mean, of bullocks and all that, but it, it is espresso. It is not the coffee formerly known as espresso. I even, had to, I even had to come home and, and Google it because I was so convinced that... <laughs> I knew well, you did find that movie really. reference, yeah. Espresso Bongo, oh, which should be a coffee brand. But Espresso like, sounds a lot. Espresso is a bit cumbersome on the tongue, I find. So Espresso <laughs> is. I shall carry on calling it an Espresso. I'll say I'll have an Espresso. I've been calling it that in in polite company for years, and nobody, apart from Simon, met, see, I've been calling it in polite society for years until Simon <laughs> publicly called me out on air this, this, about this, it. This is what friends are for. Yeah, you know, we 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 help to point out people's failings, <laughs> <laughs> like me not listening to the podcast and Andrew's putting an X into espresso, exactly. or or Andrew's just being edgy, you know, X espresso. Mm. There's nothing wrong with being well, edgy. Look at the way the Americans have butchered the English language since we since you took it from the shores, you know, two hundred years ago, whatever. Uh, William Shakespeare, look at how he made words up and changed words and spelt words. Oh. You know, words were spelt differently for generations until they were, you know, gradually standardized, weren't they? We're literally just like making more streamlined. Kalur, C O L O E R. Why? What's up with the U? Mm. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Color, C O L O R. It works fine. 
how do you explain missile as a there's an eye well there's two eyes in there as opposed to missile exactly yeah <laughs> well, what's that all missile about? missile let's say mistletoe yeah but you're going to send a missile over to iraq yeah. exactly yeah. sadly we did do a lot of that yeah and, and still i'm going to put some oregano in my pasta di- in my pasta <laughs> dish <laughs> oregano well, is that an herb or a herb it's an herb it's not it really is an herb <laughs> Do you Americans not not say the H in that word? No, they just say it's an herb. <laughs> they say herb. It's a, it's a weird herb. thing called a silent. It's, it's a silent H. It's, it's not it's a not. silent H. What's wrong with you? Oh, my word. <laughs> See, my espresso um, <laughs> lapses is pales into insignificance compared with you lot in America. Goodness me. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, so but, uh, but there's a difference between the style standard and just you like yoloing off and saying "screw all of you." I'm putting an X in this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you could be right. So, um, well, I'm sure the viewer, I'm sure the listeners are getting a lot out of this so far. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, like, I'm sure they are. Sure these sure. three. Yeah. So uh, uh, back we, to the circus. Yes. Yes. So we, Eric is here and is back to a circus. But you you asked the question earlier about um, Dave's studio. And yeah, it, it it's like is, a playground. It's truly incredible. I mean, when we were when we were chatting uh, there, Andrew was um, started off doing a. I, I don't know if he did, did it twice, but uh, he was he was li- live streaming to our view, uh, our Facebook um, Facebook group, and and it's it's not difficult to see why because you walk in there and you and you're almost overwhelmed uh, with with things. Yeah. Okay, so now I get to interview you, you two, about like your experience there. For each of you, what was your single favorite, like mind blowing prop that he has to photograph? Like he's got all this cool shit. What was the one thing you were like, "What is that?" I'm in terms of like, the, rain, the reindeer bells were interesting, <laughs> but that was That's that was because he story. bought them by accident on a yeah. <laughs> when his fingers slipped on an auction. <laughs> <laughs> The the the, the mannequin um, mm. that dressmaking uh, mannequin thing with the with the um, was it a sh- neck piece or was it a shoulder piece? I can't remember that 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 thing. Yeah, with the it was in, it was inspired by something, wasn't it? By some, and, it was, uh, and made the, by, made by that lady who makes things. <laughs> that, that, that's right. That's that's really well explained. And um, <laughs> fortunately, um, Dave explained that earlier in the podcast, so uh, we okay. won't have to. Thanks, Dave. We, we, yeah, we, we were clearly paying oh. a lot of attention there. Um, but yeah, there'll be a quiz later, listeners, so you can explain it better than we do. Yeah, but it was it was David already got this thing out, and it was like the, it just and it was already lit as soon as you walked in the room. So and and there's there's two giant cameras were um, were trained upon it um and and just that as an experience to 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 look through you know two really large screens uh, mm-hmm. on the, the ground glass uh, and see this 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 thing that so just looked you know macabre um it was it was just incredible uh, and just seeing how you know, the, I mean, you, you obviously, you know, we we used to seeing things in focus and then things dropping out of focus quickly, especially with relatively right. fast lenses. But it, again, it was otherworldly when you're actually looking at this and you could walk around the screen because it was nice and the, the ground glass screen, you know, it was quite dim where the cameras were, mm-hmm. and it it's it, it's it just looked real 
uh, inside. You know, it must have been like like the the first time that people went to the cinema and saw a train coming towards them, and they ran out. The, they, they got out of the seats because they thought they were going to get run over by a train. You know, it was, it was a similar kind of um, experience for me. I was like, this, you know, I've seen this kind of thing before loads of times, but somehow this was just completely different again. It was like a, it was just taking things to a whole new level. And Andrew. Would you, would well, I was taken. I was taken by lots of things. I was. I, it's not. It wasn't really a prop that I could see myself using, but I was struck by the dolls' heads that were hanging from the ceiling upside down by a noose. Um, <laughs> I was struck by those, and um, but I think Dave's stuffed stuffed armchair that I ended up um, spoiler alert photographing him on in uh, part two of this podcast, which we'll talk about some other time. He's got this stuffed armchair. And I think why it's poignant for uh, for Dave is, f- first of all, it's a great stuffed armchair and all the stuffing's coming out of it, leather thing it is. Uh, but he's got a photograph of his late mother that he managed, and, he, and I don't think his her, his mother really wanted her photograph um, <laughs> made at all. And she's in this armchair, you know, and, and I think that's a great prop to have in his studio. But, you know, it's a centrepiece. Uh, but everything in there, Eric, is just mind blowing. As you haven't listened to the podcast, I'm, I'm presuming you haven't watched the live Facebook stream. That's the only reason I knew you guys were doing it is because I saw like you know Andrew Bartram is streaming and they're like, we're making a podcast. I was like, oh, thanks, thanks, thanks for letting me know. Just for rubbing. Thanks for thanks for letting me know to be able to even just like like come in on the phone and watch vicariously as you do it. No, no, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Actually, I think I messaged you. I was like, wait, we're doing a podcast? Like, oh, they're doing a yeah, podcast. Yeah, not yet. Right. Um, but regardless of that, I mean, it makes sense because I'm up there. I mean, yeah, I was I was down the street three miles, apparently, unbeknownst to me. Um, <laughs> well, your stand, your stand in did a, did a great job. Did a bang up job. Um, but it, it it beggars the question like so is he um because he's i won't say he's 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 an i want to be like ageist or whatnot but you know but he's a, a slightly older older gentleman but he's, yeah we're not really sure how old he is he's probably yeah, he's, he's eternal timeless. he's eternal yeah he's timeless but his yeah. his work is very has um a massive amount of right like he seems to be constantly sort of playing with different things, different styles. I did notice um, there is one, like, I don't know if you guys mentioned it out there, there's one outdoor spot where, like, the branches are mm-hmm. overlapping over uh, a path or whatever. That he's, the lane. That's his, yeah, the lane, his favorite, like, portrait location because, the like, the branches just lend themselves to a yeah. swirly bokeh, you know, in of themselves. Like, like, his house, and I was most disappointed because we were going to photograph Simon naked with a wig on and and a, and, a, and a skull across his nether regions, with a pair of angels' wings on. You never I me. would. <laughs> you didn't tell me about that. I would be both <laughs> terrified <laughs> and intrigued by this. I don't know. Uh, well, that's a showstopper. Hold on. Let me let me let me get past that visualization. Thank you, Andrew, for that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's, but, like, that's just outside his house, so that little lane. But it was the weather was rubbish while we were there. Okay, so we stayed. We did everything inside. Hmm. But he's a latecomer to photography per se, right? Like within the last yeah. five or six years. I'm going to say that, but uh, and he's told me probably more than once, but I can't actually remember. He may have even said it in the podcast, but I can't remember that either. 
But, you're, but yeah, relatively, isn't he, Simon? Relatively yeah. new yeah. to all this. But your your, your point about about his uh, we were chatting earlier about it. You know, he he has he's very experimental, and he's the and you you look around his is whether it be his house or uh, or in the studio. There's lots of his work around, and there's mm. lot, it's different in style in in genre, mm-hmm. um, and this and. There's, and Experimental is is definitely a word for some of, some of his work as well. I mean, there was one photograph. We did, I don't think we talked about it in the in the on the podcast. I'm not sure, but uh, there were, there were like two photographs were ov- overlapping. Um, I think there was like a I don't know if there was a tin type base and then there was nambri type in the front of it. Um, mm. And depending on the way that uh, the light would fall upon it, you you would see one or two or um, or the photograph will come together, um, which was pretty, that was pretty uh, impressive. Yeah, actually, um, we can see it on his on his Instagram. He's holding them by hand, um, and sort of playing around with it. Um, it's called Both Worlds, um, and uh, yeah, it is really, 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 really cool. I, I was also we, when we had a tour around the the back end of his house because we were recording in his kitchen. And then I think Simon stopped the recording and we had to wander through into his sort of like a big, well, it's like a, you'd imagine a Victorian conservatory, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and more things in, in, in there. And that's where he showed us his stereo. He's got now a love of stereoscopic photography. Oh, so he's got this uh, French, beautiful little French stereographic stereographic camera and he's got the um he's got boxes of stereo plates that he's he's bought and he's got one of those viewers mm-hmm. you know wooden viewers jason uh, lane just recently got one of those wet yeah. uh, dry plate stereo cameras french ones they're really cool yeah they yeah, can actually he's used it and got some great results but he's actually, now got his, so he's now that's another he goes down these little rabbit holes you know but he pursues mm-hmm. them and pushes them and makes these wonderful um, developments. I mean, he loves Instax and, you know, Polaroid type things. And, he, you know, he'd go away and he came back with his RB with his Instax um, back oh, on it, you know. Which would be with the Instax RB back, which we talked about previously. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, did you and um, Ethan over at Camera Dactyl slash the Homemade Camera Podcast is um, going to be releasing a 4x5 and 8x10 film back that has that essentially is a built-in um film development tray as well so you can sort of do quasi paper negative or paper positive depending on how you want to do it instant shots as well which is something people are revisiting that whole you know well well, that's like if you don't want to build an afghan camera box camera you could do that some people i've seen them on on instagram or twitter recently He's, you know, a guy had set up, I forget who it was, a guy had set up his large format camera in the street in his lunchtime. I think um, NASA in, in Simply Oxford as well used to do similar things. And, and as people walked past, he said, can I, you know, take mm-hmm. a picture on this, old, on this old camera? Well, imagine doing that, but then to be able to, with a, you know, RB or something or a 4x5 camera, then producing, squirting some chemicals in with a little syringe or something and then yeah, having a print says, there you go, take this home, shake it like a yeah. Polaroid. Yeah, or like, sorry, this is wet, but you know, you can take it home with you, and it'll, <laughs> it'll dry eventually. Yeah, hold it by the edges and blow on it. Yeah, I actually saw some guy who he, he took an intrepid four by five, and just sort of built a box around the ass end, 
and turn it into an Afghan camera. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, well, okay. Uh-huh. That's a way to do it. Well, there's just... a lady, sorry, Simon, there's a lady in, in Leicester, I think, who Jimmy Hick, I don't know. I feel we've talked about this recently, but maybe it was when we were at Dave's house. Uh, I think she's called Afghan Camera Lady or something. Uh, Jimmy Hickford bumped into her. Uh, she's out in the streets doing Afghan type work. Maybe yeah. we should chat with her at some point. Well, and there's a dude in France who's making beautiful brand new Afghan cameras. Um, his workshop is awesome. And they're really gorgeous. Like they're completely bespoke, high end, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Afghan cameras. Um, they're just like, you know, individually made, hand numbered, the whole the whole shoot and match. Every single one is, is unique and distinct. Um, and uh, <laughs> they're very nice. Has, wait, is, so has they meandered into Afghan cameras too since he has literally everything no, else? No, I'm surprised he hasn't really. I was going to say, uh, that's the next thing. Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely time for it. Um, actually, just, just Dave, if you're listening, Afghan cameras. Um, I just, I mean, we were sort of heading away from what we were talking about here, but you just mentioned about this, uh, this, this camera that Ethan, sorry, this back that Ethan's developing mm-hmm. there, uh, which is now intriguing me. Um, and uh, you actually, that was the point. You were on the uh, homemade camera podcast uh, only this yeah, week, as I was, well, which is why you got I was third. Yeah, I was third stringing it because you you rejected them, and Nick couldn't show up. <laughs> I, I well, I couldn't do it, but there you go. And I'm glad that you did. Um, but this is this is this is really interesting. So the actual, uh, so you take the photograph uh, because mm-hmm. you're now an expert on it because you've been on the podcast. <laughs> um, so oh, yeah, yeah. So you can use this uh, film holder in a regular four by five camera. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Exactly. And so you take your photograph as as, as normal, and then mm-hmm. am I correct in assuming that when you put the dark slide back in, that in itself forms a uh, fluid uh, type, the fluid tight seal. Correct. There. And yep. then you've got uh, a method of pouring your chemicals in and a method of yeah. expelling them. Yeah, it's just got a little, a little, you know. I won't say spout, but it's just got a little like chemical tray right there that goes through a light path hole sort of proof channel that brings the, the, the fluid in there. And I think for the four by five, you said it didn't take a much fluid to do it like 35 milliliter, like very, very little liquid is required to cover the space. So it's also really, um, really efficient basically because it just needs to cover the surface uh, because your film or paper or whatever is held down flat by magnets so you don't have to like fill the whole chamber with fluid. You just need to have a layer that's big enough to, to go back and forth. With. Interesting. The, when you read, because I've been getting into rotary development of film, I've been reading around minimum quantities of active ingredient, you know, and, and for a single sheet of four by five film, um, opinions vary. I think if you read the dark room cookbook, he talks about maybe 50 mils, um, other people say 80 mils per sheet. So somewhere around there. So that's quite a low yeah. figure. So yeah. Well, and, and I it think works, that, it works, I guess I think it was mostly based off of shooting like RC paper or mm. Ilford yeah, paper. Sure. paper is a different beast. Yeah. Um, and his goal is obviously to, to simplify and sort of universally make shooting RC paper and then reverse processing into positive with you know vitamin c and i think he's uh using hydrogen peroxide um, hydrogen peroxide right like that method um as being just like a universally approachable relatively low toxic toxicity 
sort of approach versus, you know, the standard methods for that use some really nasty, you know, acids that you don't want to touch and you definitely don't want to like put into the grass. Right. Um, so that's mm. kind of what he's after. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating beast. Um, I think it's super cool. I'm glad he's doing it. I'll probably buy one. Um, don't know how I'll use it in the field. Cause again, you have to figure out what, where that print is going to dry in a dust free, not going to stick to everything uh, sort of way, but, um, but he's, he's hell bent on doing that up to 20 by 24 to replace the old 20 by 24 Polaroid, which is now long gone. Right. Um, that's, that's, that's the windmill he's actually tilting at. Like, I don't think he went into this to do a commercial entity at all. He's, he's windmill tilting at the lost 20 by 24 Polaroid. Um, yeah, I mean that could be incredible with with direct positive paper if you can get that. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, or just really affordable and again, in a really affordable, inexpensive RC paper mm. per shot is so much cheaper at that size. You if know. he can, if he can nail the work, the process, so you, you know, you make your exposure onto the paper and then you, you, um, uh, you know exactly how much citric acid and how much hydrogen peroxide yeah. to use you know and yeah, you don't I, have to obviously take the back off to look at it but do it all yeah, exactly. sort of in camera mm-hmm. well but not saying in camera take it and put it down but yeah um you take so, the back but, off and you take the back off to do yeah because that way the tray is flat flat yeah right. it makes sense yeah yeah um it's nearly in camera isn't it but not quite yeah yeah it in, in space yeah camera. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it is pretty fascinating. Um, although we totally meandered as we often do away from the original topic, which is Dave Shrimpton's voice, but you well, I was, <laughs> also I was, got to play in his dark room. Speaking we, of dark room stuff, yeah, it's his dark room is like prodigiously crazy as his fucking studio. Like, is it no. also like a cavernous space of like no, every type of alternative process known to man or God? It's, it's, it's just very, very good. Um, and and I think actually, um, just, I mean, seeing that there is a ninety minutes of podcast and then there's us on the end of it, I and funny enough, the darkroom part of it is pretty much where the next episode starts. Oh, I, so I'm asking for spoilers. Yes, and so therefore we're not going to do that, oh, other than to say that uh, the second part of the podcast is uh, continuing the practical theme that uh, had the last one finished. And mm-hmm. uh, in particular, um, Andrew has a go at wet plate. And I've got to say, <laughs> wet plate is awesome. I cannot... I, it is sexy. I, I've, I I always thought that I'd like it, but my word, I'm, I'm still thinking about it now. It's brilliant. And I, and I have you, don't I mean, wait, too much about have that. You Simon, have you seen like, wet pl- a really good wet plate photographer do their business like right in front of you and like bend yeah, in me. the tent and watch them? Yeah, me. <laughs> You say that and then you laugh. So I'm not sure if you're having a go or what. <laughs> oh, doesn't get any better than what I produced. I don't think. No, and what all the fuss is about, to be honest. It, it was wet plate perfection. Um, I've got to say, so. Uh, so well, well done, Andrew. He's done that, so he can move. I, have wet, I now have wet plate dreams. Yeah. Oh, that. Yes. And on on that note, um, we shall um, we shall bring this. Um, End bits uh-huh. of the podcast. Uh-huh. I was going to ask questions oh. about the discussion at the end of it about um, lens fidelity, oh. but we can do that later. E- e- exactly, and I, I think that there's a reasonable, 
well, certainly the next time the one the next one that goes out, I think there'll be a little bit more time at the end of it. And if there isn't, then we just might have to have the three right. of us having a chat. Uh, to, I, I definitely have opinions on lens fidelity and yes. some of the lenses that I see wet plate well, and dry plate well, photographers using. Well, having not only have you been on the um, homemade camera podcast, uh, you've also been on another podcast, haven't you, about uh, lens punk? Uh, oh, top, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I blame Graham. I blame Graham. I had nothing to do with that. Yeah. Just, 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 that's just Graham uh, over at the homemade camera podcast has, uh, has a bee in his bonnet about, about freeing lenses, freeing lens elements and making lenses out of them. Um, and, and I say that also again with affection because he's, he's way into it. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that he's found something uh, photographic that really like, as I'd say in the United States, that trips his trigger, um, which is a really terrible turn of phrase. Now that I think about it, um, let's not use that one. Uh, but no, but but yeah, he's he's all about building lenses now with like scavenged um, lens elements and all sorts of stuff. It's really fun to see somebody with that much like with just that much enthusiasm. He's doing some good um, stuff with them as well. I mean, he is. is. He is. Follow me on on Instagram. I really like the kind of things he's doing. He's sort of making me think I should be having a go at this. I mean, I mean, I almost had to go at it when in the first uh, throes of enthusiasm when you came on board with us <laughs> and um, and I was, somehow I, I was too busy to do it. And now it seems to be happening again to me where I want to do this yeah. again. So um, we, we we may have to. We, we need yeah. to hear about your first experience with the chroma camera because you, you, somebody commented on either the photograph. I think it was just a photograph that we shared on Facebook on the day, and how puzzled you were looking, staring at it, <laughs> and then the incredulity around in the in the community that you actually were using a camera. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I was thinking, Dale was trying to close this podcast off, and you've just opened up a can nope. of worms there. Well, I'm not suggesting so many... about it now, but we'll oh, okay, just... then. Okay. Oh, Next okay. time. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, you're looking for things to talk about. about. But, but yes, Graham has, has uh, given me some level of, of um, credit for his enthusiasm for this and pulled me into this occasional random every couple of months uh, discussion on on lens, low, low fidelity lens building, low to high fidelity lens building with myself and a really great gentleman from Japan named Dominic, uh, who used to actually make cameras. He's a woodworker. Oh, and, I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dominic Silver. He lives Tom Silver Thorn, Horn, Dom, Thorn. Dominic Silver yep. Thorn. He lives um, at the foot of Mount Fuji. Yeah, yeah, really, really nice guy. Yeah. Um, and he's the one whose moniker is Lens Punk. He's going with a punk rock ethos with his lens building. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. that's all good so uh, we'll be back uh, next time with part two of uh, our trip to see Dave Shrimpton and in the meantime uh, I swear to God I'll listen to both of them <laughs> yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yes and um, yeah so um, that's pretty much it for us you already heard Dave talking about the places where you can see his work um, and I'll quickly go over them again, uh, or at least two of them at least. Uh, Dave's on Instagram as Dave underscore Shrimpton, Dave underscore Shrimpton. And there's also has a website, which is daveshrimpton.co.uk. Um, urge you to um, have a look at both of those. Uh, because yeah. He's ace. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, yeah. Actually, a friend of mine, as we speak, as we're recording, um, is actually doing a workshop with Dave at, the, at this moment. 
Um, he's oh. doing, doing, doing a two-day workshop and he's there right now, although I guess he's probably close, finished his day now. Um, but I spoke, well, I chatted to him via Facebook uh, last night and he was absolutely blown away by it. Um, so Dude, uh, That would be so much fun. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping he's going to come back and uh, be so blown away by it, he's actually going to do some wet plate himself and bring it back to uh, the Six Towns Darkroom and then we can all have a play with it. Because, um, I, I want to do it again. Um, well, you haven't done it first time yet. Well, I, I haven't told you, but I've, 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 you witnessed, I've witnessed a master. It. You, you witnessed a master at work. Yeah, you did. You did. Um, Andy. Andy, yes. Oh, I thought you were. Oh, I thought. Yeah, the master and the apprentice. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I was just the assistant watching all. Um, so, um, Andrew, um, let's mm. let's do our closing closing out bits. Um, mm-hmm. How can people keep up with you and things like that on on the internet and stuff? Uh, I'm mostly Warboys Snapper in on Twittery Worlds and Facebook, probably. I don't know, um, but you can find me in the in the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group, making people experts, which seem to call, ruffle a few feathers. But we won't go there. <laughs> I'm going to make Eric one now. He's an expert. What is he an expert? He's an expert on no self-developing cameras. I'm an expert on absolutely nothing. Yeah, so you can find me there. Um, Lensless Podcast is, is back up and running, so we're every two weeks. You can catch me on the Lensless Podcast. Every two weeks? Are you promising two that? Weeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you committed? Well, not this week. We should have been up. I think we should have been up this week or next week. But it's, Oh, yeah, that's right. Fourth of July. There's some weird holiday that you Americans have, so we can't record. Um, we're stuck for Sundays, really, so it's going to be the 20th, I think, when we're back. Got some great I mean, want me to fill in there on Fourth of July for whoever it was the guy who can't. I mean, I'm happy to. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a podcast tart, so I, yeah. I can. You can tart That's me. In thought. There. I know Corey, my co-host, did say, "Do you want to just do it?" I said, "That's all right. Wait for you to come back." So we're about every two weeks. So there we go. Eric, where can we? If someone wants to send a letter to the show, an email to the show, where where, where would they send an email to? <laughs> Now I'm stuck because I always want to append a the to the front. And I don't think there's a the in the front. So large format photography podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we we do actually yes. have a few emails that we need to go over. So at some point we'll catch up, catch up with those. Um, and also we'll uh, catch up with coffee donations as well, because we've had a few since we've, we haven't been on for ages. Um, yeah. So I think- Including some, some, some that aren't actually coffee. Yes. Although the actual coffee is pretty awesome. It's, I have to say. It is. It's, that's, that's done really well for us. Definitely. Um, so Eric, how can people uh, keep up with you on internet wise? Uh, I say, so lately it's just been mostly my day job, but, um, that's Eric H. Matthew at, uh, Gmail, not Gmail. That is my email address if you really want to harass me, but it's Eric H. Matthew on Instagram. Um, What's your phone number, Eric? No. Bad, Andrew. I mean, I'll give it to you, Andrew. You can call me anytime, but um, (laughs) but that's pretty much it. Um, uh, I'm starting to do some work and some project that isn't large format, but I'll start posting there somewhat shortly on things that aren't bunny related crazy okay and uh i'm on twitter as simon four i'm on instagram as simon forster photographic uh, which is also the name of my website um and i've actually started to make lens boards for people uh custom boards beautiful that that bespoke deep-seated one 
God, it must have been a long print to like do a board thick enough for that freaking lens, but it's very nice. I think it was about four and a half hours. Uh, to oh, that's less than I thought. Yeah. Okay. But that was actually the fourth one I had actually done because the others failed for various are reasons. You, are you talking about my one or the one you made for um, yours? Like yours, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one for the yeah. bomb, bomb camera. Because it's a solid chunk of plastic, isn't it? That cone bit. It's, I think that's solid, isn't it? It's not solid, no. Isn't it? it feels it's, solid. It's pretty. It's pretty chunky, all the same, though. There's mm-hmm. a there's a there's a shape in there that uh, fills fills the gaps a little bit, but um, you know, it's there to give it rigidity. But if you actually make these things completely solid, it, they they're actually it's better to actually make them with a bit of air in, uh, because you know, they got the rigidity is better and. Uh, and they stay in the shape better as well. well. I'm very pleased with the end result, and that's going to be my that's going to be my wet collodion tin typey lens when when I start doing it. But we'll talk about that next week. Yes, yes. So um, so that's that's just about it. Um, have I? We aren't going to do shout outs, but it'll take us too long. So we'll do shout outs next time, maybe. Right. <laughs> Dave Shrimpton. A shout out to Dave Shrimpton because he's eight. Hell yeah. Um, so, uh, so that that's it. Um, our music is by Kevin McLeod. It's called Two Finger Johnny, uh, which you didn't hear at the start, but you're going to be hearing now as we speak. Um, so that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show, and uh, we'll be back soon. So goodbye. Bye. See you.